Good day, yes, thank you. <laughs> Good to see you, man. Yeah, you do. So, I wanted to talk about a few things. We'll have you on here for obvious reasons. One is you helped me build this place, so it's only fair. True story. Uh, second is, probably would be a realtor if not for you. Also, probably fair. I don't know if that's a good thing or not. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Yeah. So, how have you been, man? It's been a minute. Been all right. It's been a, you know, interesting couple years. I mean, obviously for everybody, and you know, it's all right. Can't complain. Been okay. a lot of changes, okay. but you know, you still the same stuff. But you know, yeah. and change at the same time. So, so, so you reckon the Reds are going to field a baseball team this year? No. <laughs> I'm telling you, that's how much? Thirty three years, thirty two <laughs> years of just I got a. Hashtag start a couple years, 31 years of futility, 31 years of utility, whatever. Mm-hmm. It's incredible. No, they're going to be terrible. They they're have, the over-under 62 games, I think, right now, 63 games for them. They have, don't they have Snead the lowest payroll in the National League this year? Like, by a lot. Yeah. Did you send me the article about how their how their payroll works and why and all that? Did you Have you read that? No. I'm going to look it up. It is absolutely fascinating. You would love it. Have you read this, Snead? <clears throat> Yeah, it goes back to the. You know what it's called? Um, I'll look it up as we're talking here, but um, well, he can look it up. I don't know what's called off the top of my head. Um, <clears throat> but they have a uh, when uh, Castellini took over, he basically when he bought it, uh, there were two other guys. Uh, I believe one of them, the Johnson Brothers or something. They were, and there's thirty or twenty seven shares of the Reds, and Castellini had some through family, and, and he wanted to be a controlling partner. And, he, but he had to go raise funds for that, and he wanted to go out, and so he made a commitment basically to all these other people that before he would, if they wanted to be have an ownership in the Reds, have a share, that he's going to ask them one time for money and never ask them for money again, and he's never has. So there's never been capital infusion into it to try to make the team better if they're not making it their money themselves. So it, And it turns out they're one of the most profitable teams to their owners because they don't spend any money mm. and you know the major league baseball kicks them back all this money which goes back to the value of the team basically so and um so it was pretty interesting how, how that all happened and it makes a lot of sense when you read it so 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 there's these other guys that try to buy in couldn't and he has the right to ask them for money once but hasn't well when he you know he went out to Whatever the the purchase price was of the Reds at the time, you know, four hundred million or whatever it was, mm-hmm. um, he didn't obviously have that money in his on you know, his own. Uh, he had to go and get investors and to get these guys the the chip in the money. Here's you know here's one time, here's what it is per share, and I'll never ask you for another penny. There's not going to be a hey man, we want to make this a World Series contender. Well, everybody throw in ten million dollars this year so we can go out, which is what the, the Dodgers and guys and like I that. I would have do. thought if there was any time to do that, it would have been when they were rebuilding before they were going to have the All Star game there at Great American a couple of years ago. Yeah, and the whole article was slanted to where, um, you know, he, he everybody dogs him, but he's actually made good to his investors and to his you know to the people that own the team. That's he stood by his word there. Mm. So take that for what it's worth, good or bad. I mean, you know. Well, and also, where else are you going to go? <clears throat> Yeah, <laughs> that guy. They in that article says, "Please let that guy quit talking to the media. Do not let him speak." Um, so Reds are pretty good, and basketball teams are pretty good. Yeah, that's a whole. Nother... <laughs> you try to get me fired up early on, aren't you? Yeah. You know, I, that's a whole nother can of worms. But uh, it's kind of disappointing too. I mean, you know, it, um, I think both of the Reds and the and 
UK basketball's got away from the fan, you know, the fan experience, the fan, what it means to the fans. Mm. It, it's what it means to the owner, to the coach, or to the athletic director. You know, mm. I mean, uh, sure, they're making money. UK's making a killing. Cincinnati Reds, I guess the owners are making a killing. But, you know, the fans are what it's ultimately all about. And well, I think they've lost that a little bit. Well, I get this rationale a lot. Well, there's so much disparity between revenue and payroll between major league baseball teams now more than there ever has been yeah and how how is a small market team like like the red supposed to succeed and the most obvious counter argument to that i think is a couple hundred miles that direction which is st louis they're a small market team they're a perennial contender every single year yeah they have they have a farm system that always works and they're smart about how they spend their money i, I don't i fundamentally don't understand how we can't replicate that no i agree and and, and i think you know if you look at the nfl i mean it's a different I think it's a different kind of a cash cow on its own, but the way that they have set up their salary caps and, and things like that have led to what they said, what's it, no teams won the, every team's won the, the division at some in the last mm-hmm. 10 years. You know, There's so more parity. More parity, but um, until baseball does something like that um, or more more in line with that, I don't, I don't know if it's going to change. I mean, especially the way the world is today. I mean, it's all about the money. Another thing that scares me too about baseball is um, I, I read something about a poll that I'm going to make these numbers up completely, but like if you were to pick out a hundred Gen Z kids and show them a picture of Mike Trout, probably seventy of them couldn't tell you who he was. Mm-hmm. When baseball is America's pastime and has always been our most popular sport, I think the um, Major League Baseball really messed up with the exclusivity and the way they've treated. Um, how they've controlled any any baseball media for years. Mm-hmm. Um, every, every other major for, sports franchise, not sports franchise, but major sports league, has understood the value of, of having their programming and their game exposed to fans, whereas major leagues sort of tried to tightly control it um, to have all the, the revenue from it. And I think in the long run, that's that couldn't have been a worse play. But I saw a quote from Rob Enford the other day, after the ballet bankruptcy, seems like he's starting to understand that, and and maybe they want to sort of loosen that up. So I'm sort of encouraged by that, but we'll see where it goes. I saw it too about the blackouts, mm-hmm. and I mean I think that's the dumbest thing. I mean, if you want to make it a fan experience, well, New York. I mean, you, you can't if you're a New York Yankees fan, you can't watch a New York game back. You know, you can't watch them in New York City. <laughs> I mean, hell, you want to watch them? Every, we get every damn game. You know, I don't want to watch New York and right. Los Angeles every day. Right, but. Um, we get every Cubs game too. Cubs game, yeah. <laughs> you know, growing up, just Cubs yeah. and, uh, and the, the Braves, Braves. Yeah. yeah, and uh, it just. But back to your Mike Trout example, I think I'd argue. I wouldn't argue, but I would think if you put even people that like us that are big baseball fans, he could probably walk past us at the mall and we wouldn't wouldn't notice necessarily. Now, if he said something or we talked to mm-hmm. him or he saw had a second, mm-hmm. but just some passing, I don't think you'd I'd recognize him either. I mean, because he, he's just. He's not out there, you know, and he's one of the best players in the in the history of baseball. Yeah, you know? I, yeah. It's, I've, I've I've actually thought about that. It's before. crazy, dude. Yeah, and I think that's just um, <clears throat> I don't know, man. The downfall of baseball is such a metaphor for so many things. Yeah, um, we don't have to go down that road, but um, <laughs> anyway, um, so do you remember? Um, so so for context, um, I was trying to think the other day about the first time I met you. And I don't know if it was in the dorms or if it was actually when you all came and went hunting. I think it was the day we went bird hunting. Was it? Yeah. When you killed Bambi? 
uh, no, uh, Tweety Bird. <laughs> right. Tweety Bird. So, yeah. so tell that story. Because I, I want to have some of this stuff on record. Yeah, so Merman, or then where it was Tater, yeah. right? So yeah. Tater decides he wants to take us all bird hunting. We're going to go back to Louisa to go hunting. So me and your brother, and I think Blake was with us, and, and Wade, and um, we go hunting. And we went in the middle of nowhere, and I'm from the middle of nowhere, so I know I recognize it when I see it. We were middle of nowhere. Middle of nowhere, a.k.a. our farm. And I don't know where the hell it is. It was nowhere to me. And uh, we didn't see a single bird. I mean, not a bird. Not even, like, any bird. And we see zero birds. And his dog comes up. He's come from somebody's neighboring. I don't know where he came from. He's barking and barking. And as he's barking, I see this little yellow Tweety bird flying through the air. And I'm like, I ain't going bird hunting and not getting something. <laughs> and I kind of did it as a joke, but I kind of at the same time did it. <laughs> and next thing I know, I blow this bird out of here. So we've got this little yellow Tweety bird. And... Were y'all hunting quail it, it, or pheasant or what? What was the intent here? Dove hunting was the dove, idea. Okay. And uh, but we expected to see maybe a, a pheasant or here or there or whatever pop one out, and uh, we didn't see anything, man. It was <laughs> it was interesting. Yeah. I mean, you know, it looked like there should be some dove out there. It was cut cornfields and whatever. How is how is Wade? I have no idea, man. Um, last I heard, he's in Jacksonville with the railroad and his. Uh, wife was cussing him in spanish he had no Maria. idea what she was saying that's literally the last time i talked to him he was like i don't know what she's even saying <laughs> cool, i think man. i think it was up in i went and slept on his couch i had an interview at that uh um energy plant over there and uh across the river and i stayed at tater's couch it was like when i was this i was working for at&t or suncom oh, and i was kind of tired of it pre-realtor days yeah and um oh yeah pre-realtor reds yeah and uh had an interview with that place and went over there and stayed on his couch down somewhere in Louisa. Um, so, you know, well, that been a... two thousand maybe, mm. two thousand one maybe. I don't know. Was it? Did he live in the Madison Street apartments. He was in an apartment, top, top floor of that that building across from the school. I remember his apartment somewhere. Yeah, yeah that's all I kind of remember. Um, in the big city, Louisa, it's hard to get you get lost yeah. down there. So, so Chuke Williams used to live in the like townhouse directly beside that apartment building and to this day if you drive down the main dragon louisa there are trees on the corner probably the first 20 feet of those trees have no branches because because after one of my mom was working after school brandon and i used to play mortal Kombat on the trampoline we'd pull the branches off that tree and fight <laughs> each other with them yep. every time i drive down the main director louisa i think of that yeah um but um okay so that was pre-realtor days 2000 so you got your real estate license in what 2004 three three Yep, um, I was <laughs> I was working for UBS Payne Weber, and uh, I left you at Suncom or AT and T um, to to do that. I was always interested in that world, and uh, they were basically hiring new people and getting you licensed. And and um, I hated my boss. I mean, he was a dick, <laughs> and uh, I, I was late for so Jason. Right, mm-hmm. um, a friend of ours um, was getting married, and I was in the wedding, and he was in re- he was having his reception in E Town on Friday, and I tried to leave early, so I skipped out a little bit early. And as I pulled in my driveway, I get a phone call from from my boss saying, "Where are you?" And I'm like, "Well, I just pulled in the driveway. It's like four oh five. You know, markets close at four, and it's like <laughs> it's like a, they run as fast as they can to the bar, right?" Yeah. He's well, you owe me thirty minutes come Monday, and hung up. And man, that just flew all over me, you know. And so. <laughs> I decided over the weekend I'm just gonna quit. 
So I went in on, I got all my stuff out on the weekend and, and went in to wait for him to come in on Monday and sat there and sat there and sat there. About 9 o'clock, he never showed up. Well, he was sick. He didn't show up on Monday. I didn't have anything to do. I didn't have anything there. <laughs> so I sat there, fumed on it all day. And he came in on Tuesday, and he walked in, and I said, you know what? I quit. And he said, you can't quit. And I said, well, I, I just did. And then he tried to proceed to basically try to fight me. In the, in the, you know, and, I, and you know how that goes with my personality. So we're going to fight. And uh, so everybody was like, what? And so I had to call my ex-wife or my wife then, my ex-wife now, but I had to call her at seven in the morning and tell her I just quit. And she was like, well, now what are we going to do? You, you didn't know? fight him? No, he, I think he uh, realized that I, <laughs> he didn't want any of that. I, mean, I don't know what it was, but, um, and I said, I'm going to get my real estate license and called Ronnie and said, what I got to do? Basically, kind of what you did. Right. <laughs> and here Same order, actually. <laughs> yeah, Quit job. Quite. Call Ronnie. Yeah, we, we uh, I had taken all the classes in college, so I didn't have to mm -hmm. take any of the prerequisite classes or anything. And um, yeah, and you remembered that stuff? <clears throat> well, I didn't know, and you always second guess, you know, but uh, um, she had a meeting in like uh, Cart or uh, Mammoth Cave that week. So I went down and laid in the lodge there while she was a meeting and read through a, a book I found about how to pass your license and, and um, scheduled for Monday, went in, took it, and, and passed it. So um, I was out for a week. Out of, out of I built a fence one day, which I realized quickly that I, that's not what I want to do. It sucked. <laughs> and uh, on, like, Tuesday, I went, Wednesday, I went and built a fence for a guy. But still stayed, and I actually drive by and admire the fence now. It's over on... Over off uh, Henry Clay Boulevard, uh, I still admire it every now and then. You, know? you ever go tell him, hey, just want you to know, I built your fence out there. I know the guy lives in it. I actually yeah. sold it to oh, I yeah, sold nice. it later to that guy, and I know him. I told him when I bought it. I said, you have to worry about this fence, man. I built this thing. And he's like, what? That's like, a long story. but you know. So so how long was it you called Ronnie to you you took your exam? And, and be honest with me, Ty, did you pass the first time? I did. I'm a good test taker. Um. Now I'll take it the next Monday. So I was out less than a week, all, you know, all in all. But uh, but then I didn't know what to do. I had no idea. And uh, so I go, um, so I started this little home office. So I called a guy that was a buddy of mine back at Payne Weber and told him what I did. And he got a pretty good kick out of it. And he says, well, I'm going to hook you up with <clears throat> uh, some clients, some buddies of mine, some clients of mine that I know. You parked your license with Ronnie, right? Well, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't know. No. Um, he told me not to at the time. He was with, uh, I'm not going to get names like companies, but he was with a company that you kind of had to be experienced really mm -hmm. to get in at the mm -hmm. time. And they didn't have any kind of new person training or anything. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. And he said, you know, get in, get your license going and then come over here. Gotcha. <clears throat> and, uh, which I did. Yeah. But for, it took me a couple months. So, um, he hooked me up with, um, um, Ray and Pat, um, Hayden and, mm -hmm. uh, Ray Rector and Pat Hayden. Mm -hmm. And I don't know which one it was. They hooked him up one of the two as a meeting and as a favor. And uh, I went home, started calling people in the phone book. I literally started calling real estate offices in the phone book. And I'd say, hey, I'm a new guy. I just got, I just passed my test today, and I'm going to get in the business. What I need to do? A couple of them didn't really even want to talk to you, I remember. And because um, I didn't know one company from another. And um, I remember... Um, the guy that a company I ended up going to, uh, he was, I didn't want to talk to him. He was weird on the phone. And then, um, Doug Blackwell was the guy, Doug Blackwell was the guy's name. He was with, uh, I think it was Realty World at the time. 
and uh, Bonnie Mays. And um, I just, all over the phone, could instantly tell. Doug was a straight shooter. He, you know, he was sounded cool. And uh, he said, come down here and talk to me. And I went and I liked him and he liked me. And I joined that right then. And uh, Bonnie was who I started with, but Doug was the kind of the broker, managing broker or something. And, um, <clears throat> but Bonnie used to get on to me because every time I'd send out a mailer, I was so used to having to get an approved from like the SEC yeah, rules yeah, and stuff yeah. that I yeah. didn't email her. It just gave me out. She said, you know, you don't have to send that to me every single time you mail something, right? And I'm like, oh, okay. But, uh, yeah, that's who that's how I got started. And um it was 03 and the market was doing well. The rates were still six, seven percent, as I remember, and they but they were at the time felt good to people. And um but there was a lot of building going on, man. I mean, they were building everywhere and people say it was order taking. I mean you hear that a lot in our business at that time. I, I don't remember it being necessarily that, but I do remember it being talking people out of buying one because what you'd heard about this guy or that guy or or an area and certain areas were being built at this time and and you know now enough to know when you go in you can tell some things aren't doing being done right i mean that's more what i got out of it is like you know i'm noticing this or i, I you know trying to and i think that and that's really i didn't know anything any better you know mm-hmm. I, and uh so that's how i kind of started with what i did who i worked with and then i was early on figured out um online leads were starting to be a thing and mm-hmm. i figured out some how to get those going people hated them and i would mm-hmm. i'd get them i'd email them call them whatever and then i'd sell them to people new people in the office you know or in work a deal say hey i split it with you yeah so i did that for a while and i kind of got started with that and um that's where i got that's where i got going so uh, online leads so that i'm, I'm placing <clears throat> that 2005 2006 so zillow wasn't even going then yet or was it what were you, what was your Zillow online started probably about 07. Yeah, right. Um well there was a company called Re, Re, Relocation USA or something. But um just um basically search um the ad AdWords wasn't really the way to do it, but then but position yourself in the search engine, just get them organically mm-hmm. kind of that way was mm-hmm. the way I did it. And um I figured out just the, the words that people were searching for. And uh, you know so I've noticed about you, you always do this. No matter what office you're at, you always start the Google the Google office site, and you uh, like when our Weikert office, yeah, it was like two or five East High Street, wherever it was. It was Ty Brown Weikert Realtors, the Google site, yeah. And then and then matter of fact, I remember because you told me um, when I told you I was interested in getting my real estate license, I started taking classes. You said come to one of our sales meetings, and so I just I said okay, so I Googled, and it said. Um, Ty Brown Weikert Realtors, like South Ashland, mm-hmm. or something like that. I was like, "Do I go to the Ashland office, or, or where's your office?" Because <laughs> yeah. you still had the Google site. Yeah, right? the wrong one, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I think that. I, I think I actually, actually went, went over there. Yeah, and you're like, "Dude, I'm in the wrong place." <laughs> it's like I did something candles or something. And um, and actually, <laughs> I did it again. Uh, I'll tell my, myself a little bit. So that was just before the Metronet build out started, and there these guys that needed they needed a place to park their work trucks for the next four years when they're going to be here for metronet oh the dude called me <laughs> and you're like you want to help this guy's like uh, sure yeah. and so so um i uh i was like yeah I'll come by the office like i don't know what i was going to do but it's like come by the office we'll we'll have a professional environment here and it'll i'll seem professional if he comes to the office this is where we meet right yeah so he's like yeah, yeah sure where's your office so i give him the address 
And somehow I had Googled our office address because I didn't actually know it. And what I found was the wrong address. So so the guy, the guy spends like 45 minutes driving around Lexington looking at like 457 Market Street for the Weikert office, which didn't exist. <laughs> yeah. And so he, he walks in the front door. He's cussing me. He's getting on the elevator. I don't think I ever talked to him again after that. I know I called Ben Allen three times asking him if he could park his truck out there. Yeah. I, I, funny, I did him talk to the guy somewhere along the line. And, and I don't know if it was before or after. And I thought of Ben's place too. I was like, man, stick it out there by the bulldozer. He'll never know, you know. Um, you got right by the big elephant. <laughs> So, um, so uh, you sort of hit on like um, how much new construction was going on back then, and how like people call it order taking, which was um, maybe wasn't order taking, but was still a stark contrast to what we have today. Yep. Uh, 08 took a lot of builders out of business um, that haven't come back. Yep. Um, I, can you just walk me through a little bit um, how? The, not necessarily the real estate market, um, but how the practice of real estate has changed since you got your license to now, 2020, 2023. Yeah, sadly, it, I think it's worse. Um, I, I I have a hard time. Well, so so go back in detail a little bit more because I know I know you were doing a lot of business 2007, 2008, yeah. 2009. I know you were one of the people seemed like who was positioned pretty well to take advantage of the market during the downturn after 2008. Yep. So maybe go back a few years and start there. That's what I'll say. I think now it's worse because what we had then was, and I'm big fan of like the online signatures and things like that. But I mm -hmm. think that was the start of the, mm -hmm. for, as a consumer, the experience got bad because if we, were, if we were all honest with ourselves, we would, most consumers don't have any idea what they're signing mm -hmm. and they don't know what the, what, and, and that's our job. And that's part of a value proposition. I bring to them say, Hey, look, I get it. You ain't going to read everything on here. Mm -hmm. I've read it. Yeah. So some point there's going to be a time when I'm going to say, here's what we're doing. And you're not going to get a choice because that's what we're doing. Because I'm telling you, and if you can't work with me in that case, then find somebody else. But that's how I work. We're going to do whatever you want until a point I'll say, if I ever come to you and say, we're doing this or not doing this, that's what we're doing. And there's a reason, you know. And I've found lately that a lot of people don't do that. They just say yes, yes, yes to get through the deal. So give, me, so give me an example of that. Yeah. So, uh, well, like you can get back to 07, 08. The thing I remember most about was how quickly it happened. Um, it, and then we we've talked about this before. How Lexington's kind of a different market in general, just because of the urban service boundary mm -hmm. and things like that. It's kind of a weird economic, weird weird thing in itself. But it just it it hit quickly. Now the prices didn't necessarily crash like they did in a lot of places, which everybody was afraid of. You know the values didn't do that. They came down, but they didn't die. What happened was the activity. And the fear with people were just freaked out. Mm. They were locked up. So um, there were, you know, fair amount of bank, um, you know, take backs and things like that. But um, that was more of a lender side of it. You know, loans, a lot of people get loans that didn't need to get loans. We know that. And um, created a lot of unknown, I think, in the market to people. And that was more than anything. What you quickly realize is that people don't have a clue what's going on. So when you could get to talk to them, when you would sit down and explain, here's what we're doing, you know, you're buying a house, you know, and I, my, my always, I guess, little speech has always been, every house is an investment. It's an mm -hmm. investment either in 
you're going to try to make money from it as what a typical quote unquote what an investment property would be or it's an investment in your your future your 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 family's future your life you know to get you going where you want to go and all the studies have been done people that own homes and home ownership you know their net worth's better their their their, their lives are better in, in general and um so it's a very important it's an investment in themselves to be able to buy it but they need somebody nobody likes to be sold mm. and i think people turn in too much of trying to sell people mm. and that's when it all started because everybody was fighting to try to get anything they could get they would say whatever to get it i felt like and i never fell into that i i, I to fault maybe i mean honestly i've actually thought maybe i should have maybe been more in line with what other people have done but i just don't didn't feel right doing that i like sitting down going through the contract and explaining to them here's a spot in this contract that we have that we're using that if it comes down to it and you want to get out of this thing, here's a way we can do it. Mm -hmm. Here's how we would have to do it. Mm -hmm. Or flip it around to the seller, same way. You know, here's what nobody can make you sell. They tell you they can, you know, those types of things. And people like that advice. And um, that was big. But what what we didn't, what I didn't get with or didn't catch on to was the way the market was going to change and then maybe Zillow was part of it or what, but it went to a almost commoditized level. Our our business, our value almost commoditized. You know, how much you gonna charge me a commission? You know, have you has it ever mattered? Honestly, have you ever noticed that that mattered to anybody that you've actually closed with? How much you, they paid you? Does it, you know the ones that look or or make the big deal? I, there's, there's something else behind that, you know, in my opinion. But. Only deal I've ever seen that anybody who's ever argued with me about commission started asking me a lot of questions, sort of <clears throat> questioning the value that I would provide. Yeah. Uh, no, there's never been any follow up with that person. They they end up haven't sold or they haven't bought. Yeah. Uh, the only deal I've ever seen that closed um, was. I had a I had a buyer that was looking at some luxury properties, um, and there was a property we looked at, um, like I forget the the name of the street, but it was it was a nice the house looked straight off Chip and Joanna, and it was on like twenty acres here in Lexington. And um, the guy that was selling it um, he used to play for the Green Bay Packers. I'm gonna say his name, um, and he was working with a a discount agent but i mean he had gone through the whole process like done his homework he hired a professional photographer um and he ended up selling it it ended up um we brought him an offer and i think our offer i checked after it closed our offer was much better than the one that actually they closed with um but he actually had worked with a discount agent and it closed but no i don't i don't see a lot of people who are asking those types of questions um, end up closing deals. Mm -hmm. I, I have I have seen um, a couple for sale by owners that I've actually done deals with that in the marketing remarks on the front end were smart enough to say uh, buyer's agents welcome, and then we just sit down across from the table of yep. and negotiate a deal, made it clear that I wasn't representing them. Some of those closed, but I've never actually had a client approach me, just like you said, who who is asking those types of questions that ended up turning into anything. Yeah, it's, all, it's almost a red flag to me. I mean, um, something else is going to go crazy. It seems like if that's the, there's something else going on with that because if you can't, I agree. I don't know if you can't communicate your value or they can't recognize the value of it. Then there's it's two way street. But yeah, worry about it, right? Yeah. 
for sure. And but again, I think there's some people out there right now that I'm worried about that they would I wouldn't hire them, you know. And um, that's sad, you know. They wouldn't be. They wouldn't know how to answer the question. No, they just. And that's. I don't know. I think the access is too easy to get to those people. You know, there's. And. Um, mean the ac- what do you mean the access <clears throat> is too easy? The, the, the customer, it's too easy to get to the uh, to a bad person right now, to a bad agent. Mm. Um, whereas it wasn't that hard. It was harder back in the day, I think. And um, I don't know if they don't know the questions they ask, you know, the, the clients or, or, or what. It's more of a popularity contest almost. So that's actually my, that brings me to my next question, which would be um, as the market has changed, as the definition of a good yeah. or agent or a bad bad agent changed? I think so. I think, I absolutely think so. I mean, it's almost like to be considered what you would say was a good agent now, you have to have, you know, almost a, HGTV, you know, pictures and not necessarily the pictures, but like, it's like the video explaining, you know, here's what I do every day when I get out of bed, you know, Mm -hmm. here's what I do. Okay. But when we're trying to get a deal with you and I get a whole, I'm talking to you, that ain't how it goes. You know, that's not what they do. They, you can just tell instantly and Again, I'm not saying, I, and of course, I'm sure there's been agents that when I started or even, you know, if I was on the lake or something, they were like, oh, yeah, you know, I've got time right where I want him right now, you know, probably have. But um, I've always taken it pretty serious to, if, if somebody's hiring me to help them buy or sell, that you hired me to help you buy or sell. Let me do what I got to do. I'll tell you when to show up to the closing mm-hmm. and I'm going to get you what you asked me to get you. Mm-hmm. And... um you know, and if again, if I say we're leaving, we're leaving. And I've got up, we've I've literally walked out of a closing with half the closing doc signed. And I, I mean, I like basically grabbed a dude by his shirt and said, "We're out of here." And we walked out and went all the way back to office before they called us and said, "What the hell just happened?" And I told them, I said that I told. So my experience <clears throat> is, if stuff gets sideways, it gets sideways before you get to the closing table. So what's the thing that makes you get up and walk away at closing? This was the lender, and. Mm. Uh, the one one way to never ever get me to ever do business with them ever again don't matter how cool they are how many lunches they take you to or how many beers they buy you at the bar or whatever is to tell one of my clients that here's what we're going to do and do something different mm-hmm. a little bit maybe yeah it's, you not, know, it's not my favorite little, but you don't that does yeah. not happen <laughs> and it happened it's happened twice and uh yeah and you know, um, and that guy's been one of my most uh, repeat customers from that. And uh, he's actually starting to kind of look again now. So maybe about seventh or eighth deal done with this person. Wow! And the first one was the one we I jerked him basically out of the chair and said we're leaving. And then he got it. They he realized we were serious. He just didn't think we would notice, you know. And um, I did. And it's harder to do now with the the. the Disclosures the way they are, mm. but back then it was a little more. But still, I think that if you tell somebody you can do something, you need to do it. And I and I appreciate the ones that tell them they can't do it. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, somebody you know, if they can't get them alone, then tell them here's what you can do. Here's what you, if you do this, this, and this, I can get you one and do that. You know. No, listen, <clears throat> the loan officers that I work with, I'll tell you, um, they might have a a broad sort of. <clears throat> specialty as far as 
where they win deals. Um, but there are circumstances where I might bring them a buyer and they don't have the right scenario or the right product for that buyer. Right. And they're going to say, I know this person at this bank yep. and this person has the right product for them. Yep. And I think, I think a lot of loan officers are probably, um, reticent to do that because it feels like they're giving somebody away and they'll never come back but it comes back to them but i can tell you as an agent yeah. if somebody is willing to do that maybe that customer maybe maybe the right maybe that that particular buyer isn't coming back to them but i'm much more likely to bring another buyer to them if that happens 100 i remember that probably more than they'll ever know and i'm i'm willing to tell people about it so yeah yeah 100 yeah. percent. same i was gonna tell you a story but i'm not gonna bring him up it's a it's a don't guy. say his name tell a story uh, no, I was just, there's, I mean, people ask me all the time, you know, who are the two people, you know, what are the two best, uh, or I don't know, best would be the most outstanding or most, uh, not, they didn't need to do it, deal mm -hmm. that you've ever been across. And it was two other, two other realtors in our business. And, and both of them are very well known, what mm -hmm. I consider very, very good realtors still. And they both went and fixed something that, one of them, I had no idea what was even going on, and they told me, and they we we went about it and and, and finished the deal. And one of them, um, a former company of mine um, that I was affiliated with, screwed it up, and he saved it, man. I mean, like went above and beyond. He was a listing agent, and uh, it was a relocation deal. And uh, I've never seen anybody go far above and beyond he did to do it. Not only for his client, because he obviously wanted to get his house sold, but he helped me, which we were screwed. And, and of course, it's always my fault, mm. which it wasn't, but it's, it's always your fault. Mm. And uh, he saved it and didn't have to, and that goes a long way. So I've always thought highly of him for that. So You're talking about on the, on the realtor side? Yeah, but it was a lending issue that he fixed. Well, sort of. He referred him somewhere to get somebody that could get it mm, done mm. in the time frame we needed to get a, he had a relationship with the bank that could get mm. it done in the time frame we needed to man i <clears throat> i'll tell you i think that's what this business is yeah. uh, it's it's a long game i think um i think you do see people who maybe haven't even read the contract oh, but but they're able to, to build sort of the cult of personality <clears throat> thing um I think what those people will do is turn and burn their clients and burn out after two or three years I think so or too. maybe five years yeah, or 20. <laughs> but i mean with the, i mean with their business yeah i mean you you alienate so many people over time you know uh, lexington is a town with what would you say lexington you know i think last time i had three hundred seventy-five thousand people lexington is still a small town man like I, oh, yeah. I can't go to kroger without seeing three people i know yeah no i i agree and everybody everybody knows everything that they want to know about everybody they want to know it about and uh, there's nothing you can do about it so yeah i agree He's That's good or bad. Yeah, yeah know, right. right. Of course, right. of course, you have a psychic on your side that we're talking about earlier that always helps. Too. Okay, okay. Since you bring that up, I need to hear the story because I know bits and pieces. I, give me the full context of this with the psychic. From how we met her? Or? Yeah, so tell me what was going on and, and how you met her. Well, um, so again, your brother, your older brother and I were in the same fraternity together. And... Uh, attorney brother of ours was probably about his age I mean, he was a little bit younger than me um long story short he got murdered and his and his, him and his fiance got murdered and the guy that killed him he was renting a home he was renting his home to a guy who killed him when he went to collect a rent and he um hold on hold on 
he was renting his home to a guy and the tenant killed him? Yes. And um And people say landlords are evil. No. Yeah, yeah. And no. man, this was a this is case and it, it, it there's a lot of weird angles to it, but um it basically takes him and his fiance and throws them in the car and kills them and throws them in the car and disposes of the bodies. <clears throat> and uh we you know, of course you find out he's missing and nobody knows really what's going on and um I guess the circumstances of the evidence or whatever they had, they thought, well, he's probably murdered, right? But we can't prove it. Mm. And um, the police or whoever there, state police, they organize a search. Everybody shows up on one day, and quickly our group of guys, the, our brothers, basically, friendly brothers, something just don't ain't right. You know, something don't make any sense with all what everybody, it's all like everybody's grandstanding. Everybody wanted to want you to donate money to their dogs or their smelling dogs, or they want you to be on their, you know, show or they want you. And, and the cops, they didn't care. I mean, they just, they were just like, so we ran into this one guy who was with Texas Equisearch. It's a, it's a an organization. And this dude's a play football at Cincinnati. He's a big old dude, but I mean, like rough as a cob dude. I mean, you know, he puts pulls in for a living. He's huge tank top on big he's like y'all want to find your boy you come with me and we're like and we kind of look at each other and we're like all right so he's like meet me in winchester mcdonald's in 45 minutes and you know okay so we go we end up this dude's like screw everything about else is saying listen to me i do this don't trust anybody don't trust the police don't trust anybody listen to me and we'll do this and so we did and the first day he put us, we walked, we should have found him the first day. We, he, we walked right by him and the guy that was assigned to that street for whatever reason, wandered off into the weeds and didn't make it. Um, he, I, at a couple weeks later was from here to the street from her. He put us right in the right spot. He told me to go to the top of this hill and stop. If I just walked to the bottom of this hill, she was there. I stopped. Um, he was 75 miles from the cops saying that we'd find him. And, uh, but we're out one day, the first couple of days, and we're in the middle of nowhere. I mean, nowhere. And it's 80 degrees, 180 degrees probably. It's summer, it's August. And, and I come up out of this creek bank and there's a lady standing there an older lady and it kind of freaked me out and she said something she's like i've been looking for you guys i thought i'd find you here and i'm like where did you come from i mean where what the you know is going on here and um i don't remember what was said whatever but i remember blake comes in and goes i don't know man he said that's somebody that woman's eyes man she's like <laughs> she's like a witch or something i don't know you know it freaks me out you know i don't and i'm like you know, I got the opposite thing. I think she's serious. So another guy who's in the, he, he knew a guy that owned a funeral home, and he hooks us up with this lady to go to her house. And so we'd set up a thing to go to her house and ask her questions. And um, I personally think that there's something to the psychic stuff. And I've seen the ghost. I saw a ghost show in a house. I know I've told you that story. And uh, I've never been more... Um, 
freaked out walking out of a place ever but i was f- totally convinced this woman knew something and she was and bobby well i shouldn't say his name i guess but bobby was trying to talk to me through her somehow and i couldn't put it together but it was like the weirdest feeling i ever had in my life and um yeah i mean and so she's stayed in contact with us kind of a little bit since then and then she um you know it was it was very surreal i mean it was so she was helpful yeah but like we didn't know how to put it together like I, nobody knew how to communicate it um weirdly enough i i think it did you feel like he was communicating to you through her did you feel like yeah well there's one time you know the salt lamp you know that like pink mm-hmm. salt lamp i've got i had one at the office and mm-hmm. ask ryan about small lamps we've ever seen too and uh i was sitting there and there was a salt lamp behind us and i was on the couch and it was, you know, from me to you, from me, but to my back. And I'm sitting there, and she was like, it's almost like, like a say. It was just weird, you know, but we had her eyes closed, and she was trying to communicate. And she said, um, he's here. And he said, he went, she ran my room, and she went to the older guy first. She goes, you didn't even know him, Harley, did he? He's like, no. And then <laughs> went to another guy that's with us. She goes, you kind of knew him, but you didn't really know him either. And he goes, she, but when I walked in, she knew my name. She had no way of knowing my name. She knew my name. And uh, it was on Tyrone Street, <laughs> off of Tyrone Street, Angel Avenue. Um, and she goes, you and him, he, he knows you the best. And I'm like, he goes, he's trying to communicate with you right now. If you would let it happen, he, you, he'd probably feel it right now. And no sooner she said that, I was like thinking, dude, there's something on my shoulder hot and as she's talking i look over is that salt lamp you know, like right there and i finally said what what the hell is that thing and she said what's well, a salt lamp and i had i'd heard of them i hadn't really ever seen one and i'm like is it hot because it's like burning my shoulder she said no that's him what and so i said so i closed my eyes and this is basically my exact i'm gonna edit some words because i was like i closed my eyes and i said bobby you i said if you're standing here this is you know good and well this is bullshit you know whatever dude i said this one's freaking me out if you're trying to tell me something man just tell me what the hell is going on here and no sooner we said that some lady busts in the kitchen door screaming about horses <laughs> i don't okay. know and okay so it was just a weird thing and it turns out she's a horse psychic too, you know so that's a whole nother thing but um yeah it was crazy enough to actually it didn't know how to put it all together. But it was crazy enough that I, I, I truly think there was something there, but we were just nobody knew how to deal with it. Nobody knew how to, how to. And she's, she's a horse psychic, and she's contacted me a couple other times. And no, no, the, the friend who busted the door is, mm. and um, they. Uh, I had a vision of where I thought. Well, I guess I'll finish the story. I had a vision of where I thought. I, Bobby was trying to tell me where he, where I guess his his fiance was. But he kept saying, Crystal, not my crystal, to me in my head. Mm-hmm. And that's before I knew about the crystal in Bardstown. And uh, to me, it was like a lake, and it looked like a horse's head. And then that woman busts in. With, uh, I screamed about horses, and I was like, dude, that's just too much. <laughs> so we decided. I told all, you know, We ended up leaving, and I told you know all the guys. I said, all right, here's what I saw in my head, and, and I'm going to get a map out and see if I see anything that looks like it. And We'll, we'll go over there and we found a place in somewhere in versailles midway that the lake kind of looked like this so we go up to this dude's house on a sunday the next sunday knock on his door and the guy was cool he went to moorhead too and he, he was like 
he said, hey, you know, the cops already been here, man. He said, <laughs> he said, but you're welcome to do whatever you want. And he said, go. And so we went out and, and Stumpy, who our friend, he was with us and he was acting weird all the time. And uh, that weekend before, his, he was driving down the road at the back of this guy's farm. He didn't tell us this yet. I had no idea yet. He was had his four-wheeler on the back because he was kind of doing his own little search. And he's just driving down, and his four-wheeler falls off the trailer. Again, didn't tell anybody. We go to this guy's farm, and I was like, man, something's telling me we need to get out over there. You know, I don't know what it is. Let's just do it. I'm trying to go with the psyche thing at this time, you know. And uh, we get in a car, go down this road. It's a little country road. It's straight as it can be. And there's a little tiny bridge coming up, but it's a pretty good way away. <clears throat> Blake's with us and, and Stompy and I don't know who was with us. And uh, I, next thing you know, dude, something, I, I was passing out. I couldn't move my hands, couldn't move my arms. I could feel my, like, when you get, like, you've been, like, mm -hmm. knocked out mm -hmm. and you just feel mm -hmm. it closing in. And next thing you know, I'm off the side of the road. I'm going through the cornfield. And finally, Blake or whoever's time to reach over and grabs the wheels. Like, what's wrong? I was like, dude, I don't know. I can't freaking move. Stumpy freaks out. The exact same place that happened was the place where the floater off. popped off. And time we ended up stopping, it was by this bridge. <clears throat> and uh, there's no cars, no floaters, nothing. And this is no, kind of nowhere. These three dudes pop out from underneath this bridge, said they were fishing, but they didn't look like they were fishing. But And they like, quickly walked away like away from us and we're like dude you know what is it and like everywhere we went weird stuff like it happened and uh i don't know I, and i still this day i don't know what that means what it was but it was something and they ended up finding him i was on an airplane going to a trip for elbar um elaine was with me she was right beside me and uh i was on the uh got a message and um this breaking news he'd been found and I mean, I broke down, was crying, and just so kind of relieved, you know. Yeah. And uh, the guy that was picking up pop cans or something on the side of the road found him. And, um, yeah, that was – and then they found her like a week or two later, a couple exits up from that, and she was under a brush pile. And, uh, yeah, we, we were right there, which is crazy. So, And we've done a couple things with that guy since, the, the search guy. And, man, I'm telling you, some crazy stuff goes on around here, and it's uh, – if anything ever happens, those dudes are dudes you need to call. Texas, <laughs> Seriously. Did Texas Equifax Texas Equifax Search. Yeah. Who else have you looked for with him? I'm not allowed to say, but <laughs> one maybe a believer. I'll tell you off the off of here. And the second scariest I've ever been in my life was then, and that was insane. And, uh, and there is no way that happened, but it did. <clears throat> So I do remember a couple real estate stories that you told that I think are worth bringing up. So um, first is a story. You, you told a story, I think, about um, was a house Ronnie asked you to show some lady that was passed out at the dinner table? <laughs> no, she passed out on me. I thought she died. <laughs> yeah, man, she was a real, an older lady, big old lady. It kind of looked like my grandma actually had a nightgown on. and You know, it was three in the afternoon on a Tuesday or something, and Ronnie calls me freaking out because he had to go pick up somebody important at the airport. I won't say his name because it dilutes the story. But uh, can he go over and listen to this house? It's, you know, go listen to this house. Mm -hmm. Okay, sure. I don't know anything about it. I'm just right down from the office. So I go in and she has a cigarette in her mouth and one in her hand. And <laughs> she opens the garage door and I can see a huge pan. Turns out to be soup beans, which I love soup beans, on the stove boiling with a cigarette in the ashtray. 
I walk in and there's like two cigarettes and ashtray on the table. And I mean, I've never seen so many cigarettes burning at the same time in one place. And it was like, you couldn't hardly see it was just smoke, you know? And I'm like, oh, and I hate smoke, I hate cigarette smoke. And she's like, oh yeah, come on in. And um, we sat down and she starts talking about how bad she's been feeling, how her ankles are swelling up and how you know, it was terrible and how she's been sick and her doctor don't know what's going on. Sounds like diabetes. And she got eight million just piles of stuff on her table and she reaches over at some point as we're going through the contract because I'm trying to still go through the contract with her. We're on the line. She's a 90 degree angle. She's like sitting right here. She's listing the house? She's listing her house. Okay. Yeah. And um, so I'm, you know, and she's leaning here and um, at some point on the first page, I mean, she's, I'm talking not even like slowing. She mid-sentence, not talking, not slowing down, not putting her hands at anything. She's <laughs> face first on top of the contract, like right here. And I'm like, Holy God, Jesus died on me. And I'm like, you know, so like, ma'am, are you okay? And I'm like, what do you do? And I was like, now this is bad me thinking, please, Lord, forgive me, I guess. But I was like, there ain't no way I'm giving this woman CPR. I, ain't, I just ain't going to do it. I'm going to call 911. They're going to have to deal with it. I, I mean, what do you do? And it seemed like 10 minutes. But at some, buddy, she popped right back up. And whatever she was saying, she didn't miss a beat. And started finish the sentence and went on. And I'm like, okay. So now I'm trying to speed up a little bit. Does <laughs> it again. Um, so that's like five times. And the last one was her signature on the very end of the contract. Before you had to do that stupid initial after the signature. And she's almost done. And she, bop. And I'm like, she raises up. She goes, man she said boy she said and she had reached over and picked up this bottle of benadryl that's bigger than these yetis we got here and grabbed a lip and, and just starts chugging it and she said you know this stuff sure does make my ankles feel bad but it sure does make me sleepy and i was like i would have never guessed and I was like, it was nice talking to you and i walked out the door and i called him and i said i swear i'm gonna kill you and he's dying laughing you know he knew exactly and I said, there ain't no reason you're putting a sign in the yard. This woman's going to burn a house down here in the next five minutes. She just drank two gallons of Benadryl. And, uh, yeah. Oh, man, I still, that was, ah, that was crazy. All right, there are two two more real estate stories I need to get out of you. Yeah. First is the ghost story. Yeah. Um, guy I went to college with and worked with at UBS, as a matter of fact. And he uh, calls me on a Sunday. I'm laying watching football, and it's real nice weather in the fall. And I was like, man, I wanted a day off, but he was my buddy. And he's all excited. He's like, there's this haunted house for sale, and I want to go see it. And I'm, I mean, me and me and ghosts don't really get along. Well, you don't have to disclose that. How did he know? I have no idea. And uh, he was excited about it. So he, I can't remember if he was married yet or not, but he had a, the lady he does end up getting married to was with her, with him. And I got, but I got there first. And they were gonna meet me there, and I think it was a foreclosure. Actually, I know it was. And uh, pull up, and it's on a uh, downtown street, and there's little tiny houses around. And all of a sudden, this thing looks like a castle. It's made out of limestone or something, and it's got one of those like turret-looking things on the front with a big face on it, and it's got wrought iron fence around it, and a wrought iron fence going up to the door, and another fence inside that, and. All these little like skeleton keys, literally in the lockbox, and they don't even those lockboxes. There's not a lot of room in there. I'm like, 
well, I got to see what's going on first. So I get out and go in. It's like five steps again and five doors you got to go through. And I was like, open the door. And I'm like, yeah, I ain't going in there by myself. I'm going to wait till they get here. So I get out and walk around. And I'm even more freaked out when I go in the backyard. I mean, I'm just like, dude, this is a weird place. He gets there. Man, he's like a kid in a candy store. He's running around. Oh, my God, this place is awesome. You know, I love it. I'm like, dude. And you can tell this place was nice probably in the 20s. I mean, mm. had gold leaf, you know, mm. uh, crown molding stuff. I mean, it was stained glass stuff. and But there was nothing in it. Nothing. Not even like they ripped out the cabinets and stuff. Or, I mean, they never had cabinets, maybe. I don't know. But there was a <laughs> the newspapers piled up in the corner were from the week that JFK was killed. Because they were still talking about, you know, I don't know. It was like, who did it? Or wow. is this guy a suspect or whatever? And they were just crumbled up so that's how in the 60s since somebody'd been in there really we can get to that later and um yeah and uh he's like i'm going down in the basement and i'm like buddy you are absolutely 100 on your own on this one <laughs> and i'm standing and they went down there they did and with their little phones back those little tiny phones weren't any good on your phone mm-hmm. on your phone and light i mean and uh I'm kind of looking around what I thought was probably the kitchen, trying to figure out where would a kitchen even be? Where were, you know? And I see him walking up the steps. It was like a curve. It wasn't really like spiral, but it was like curved around something, but it was curved steps. And I saw him going up real soft from like here down. And I said, oh, yeah, chicken. You know, you couldn't make it down the basement. You whisked out and you're going upstairs now. And I thought it was him. And he goes, I, I don't know what you're talking about. I'm still down in the basement. And I'm like, uh, <laughs> All right, dude, I'm out of here. See y'all later. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm out. But it was like, guy had like blue pants on, and like I could see from here down. And as he went around the corner up the steps, it just got, he got, you know, it was just like it was from here and then to here. Mm-hmm. I, like clearly, and then it was kind of slow now that I think about it, you know, back. But I mean, it wasn't very far away, and I saw it. And, and um, so that's on a Sunday. And so that next weekend, girl that my wife at the time, worked with called and said hey you'll never guess who i'm going on a date with or double date with and it was the guy that had that listed and i guess his girlfriend time was friends with him and he's got a house downtown that's haunted we're going over there and because she had told her that story y'all want to i'm like hell no i ain't going but they went but like you know and the people end up buying it at that time bought it knowing it was the story like he played the story up to him once it got it going and it was kind of a marketing thing and they bought it knowing it was cool and i've driven by and i've looked at it it's weird man you can literally drive by the street and be looking for it and miss it you gotta tell me later what house this is oh yeah i mean i'll drive you by one of these days but it's crazy and it just sticks out in the middle of nowhere and it's it's a it's very interesting so yeah man i mean I know, I know, I saw it. So I and I, people will tell you crazy stories about it, but whatever it was, it was it was wild. So he, uh, I left him in the house. I mean, they had to figure they had to fight their way out. He was, he was a little. Did really he sick. see it too? No, he was in the basement. He didn't see it on his way out. No, no. He he came out and goes, "What was wrong?" And I'm like, I was sitting on the street, and I'm like, dude. If that's what you want, man, go for it. But I ain't. I'll, I'll write the contract. That's all I'm doing. I ain't doing nothing else. I don't want them to get back in there. And luckily, she didn't. They wouldn't have been able to get along. They had, to, you know, at the mm. time, they didn't have a kitchen. But they had a had a good time. So he still gets kicked out of two every time I see him. He laughs about it still. <clears throat> so you have a good flooded basement story too. 
flooded basement. You know, listing you had the basement flooded. You were trying to get the water to go down. You were there by yourself. Seller was out of town. Oh no! It was the the uh, upstairs bathroom busted over in the winter, and it was running out in the road. It flooded the basement all the way up, and <laughs> the neighbor calls my side. I'm listing off the sign. It says, um, "Are they draining a pool or something?" It was like December, you know. And I'm like, "No, they've been out of town for like two weeks, three weeks." He's like, "Well, I walk by here every day for three weeks. I've seen water, and I thought they had to must be the pool or something." And uh, yeah, that was. Uh, that was a bad mess, man. I mean, like, I don't think, it was, I don't, I don't remember what the number was that it cost to get that thing fixed, but I thought we could have built the whole house over for that, but it was crazy. We had to tear everything out. It was, was it a historic house? Mm-mm, it was a pretty relatively new house. Um, I've had one that I owned and then one that the neighbor, I've had it happen a couple times. The basement fills up like a swimming pool, man. I mean, it's, it's rough. Um, they uh, there's some there's some neighborhoods in town here that have a water table, dude. If your sump pump goes out for even a few minutes, you'll start seeing some water. And uh, those things, those basements, especially the pit basins, boy, they'll fill up. But that one, that was bad. I mean, it was it was bad. And uh, it's changed hands three or four times over the years. But man, they redid it all. I mean, it was basically they stripped everything down to fix this one. But it, when I walked in, I was like. Yeah. Like, you want to go shut the water off on my man? There ain't no reason to. <laughs> you know, really, at this point, who cares? But yeah, it was bad. So, how'd you get the water out of there? I don't know. They, insurance company, they, mm. so they were in like on a cruise or like in Bahamas or something and took a day or two before I even got the message to them. And uh, I had my handyman come over and turn the water off at the meter and, and uh, finally found out who their insurance company was. We called them, and they came over even before those people came home. And they had people come over. And I like, like it wasn't Serve Pro, but somebody like mm-hmm. that, Paul Davis maybe, and uh, started pumping the water out. And, and uh, yeah, we just kind of let it go. I mean, we didn't really let it go, but we were just let them do it. But it was bad. But when they finally got it all out and ripped all the drywall out and the carpet and cabinets and everything, I mean, it, it looked like you were walking into a, you know, a, pre-electrical inspection you know walk through with a new new construction i mean it's how bad it was. it was bad it was it was rough there was like only one bedroom in the whole house they didn't tear out i think or two it was bad so you got the lady passing out of the kitchen table you got the ghost story you got the the flooded basement and people wonder why we get paid what we do Oh yeah, Mo- not, not to mention marriage counselor oh dude all of the golf above. clubs thrown at us at the closing and <laughs> Had to do, you know, we've had some great ones, and uh, yeah. Are right, you want to take a bathroom break? I'll take a break. I don't yep. want to go to the bathroom, but yeah. Yep. Okay. So you're talking about um, real estate and how real estate agency has changed over time, and how it's um. It's more about image and branding and um, that sort of thing. Um, so, something that I've always wondered about uh, that that you've done, and I've wondered: is this a real estate specific thing, or is this just is this just Ty Brown's hobby? Is the Ty Brown Weather Service? <laughs> yeah. So, so what's the? Actually, Sneed, can you pull we up? We just we just decided we'll get into this at some point. Go to um, go to uh, Safari, and go to my Facebook here. To the right. 
Uh, and then just new tab, facebook.com. And then go TBWS. TB. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's not community, is it? It's a page, right? That's it. That's it. Okay. Three in the last two weeks. I've missed these. Okay. Yeah, just click on the top one. Okay, blow one, blow one of these up, and then PIP it. I can't even get my hands around it, head around this thing. So it made me think about it. I mean, look at this. Look at this. Supposed to have 12 to, 11 to 15 inches of snow. <laughs> we got that much. I didn't qualify for an inch anywhere by anybody. <laughs> so, I mean, I should, I mean, think about it. I mean, think I about this. I mean, what too. else could you possibly be that bad at your job that you that you miss it by a foot? A foot. Let's say, you know, if you're a golfer. I'm a professional golfer. But every time I swing, I, I putt, I miss it by a foot. You ain't going to be a professional golfer very long. You're going to suck. <laughs> or a baseball player. I swing, man. i got the best swing in America. I know I've been working on this thing my whole life. I'm a... I'm a swinging machine. But every time I swing, I miss it. I just miss it by foot, <laughs> you know, or, or a car, or driving a car. You are driving a car down the road, you miss everything by foot. Eventually, you're not going to make it to the grocery before you get hit by a truck head on or some shit. I mean, it, a foot. You miss it by foot. I mean, I'm the world's um, best cardiac surgeon, you know. I've, but, you know... Uh, Every time, every now and then, every now and then, when I'm working on, you know, the left ventricle, I miss it by a foot and, and remove their spleen. But, you know, <laughs> details. It's tough. It's hard. It's a hard job. You know, it's not it's not exact science. A foot here, a foot there. I mean, a foot. I mean, a damn foot. You can't, if you mow the yard and miss it by a foot, you're going to get fired. I mean, cut a tree down, miss it by a foot. Build a house, miss it by a foot. And I've seen some people build a house that looks like they miss it by a foot. But, you know, I mean, it, it ain't straight. But uh, a foot? I mean... I can't think of anything. I mean, your hand grenade thrower, maybe. Missing my foot, you're probably going to have like eight fingers or something. <laughs> maybe a messed up face, but you're, a foot, that's about the only thing I think you can be that close with, you know? Even the, even the old saying horseshoes, if, if you're a foot off of the damn horseshoe somewhere, you're going to kill somebody. You're going to hit him with a freaking horseshoe. You're going to be playing with a dude who's got three legs. For, uh, nobody's going to play horseshoes with a guy that misses everything by foot. Nobody wants to do anything if anybody wants to miss it by foot. A foot! I can't get over it. Fired up, a foot. I mean, I, I really. I've been, I've been the whole time. I've been sitting thinking, is there anything you could you could do? Can anybody think of any job you could possibly have that you can go around and be okay, be acceptable to miss it by a damn foot? Be that bad at your job? A fisherman can't do it. I mean, I know a guy that says he catches big old fish, but they look like little fish on TV or on <laughs> Facebook. But he can't miss it by foot. I mean. This is insane. I don't know. I'm out. If somebody got one, let me know. But this is might be the biggest, uh, biggest bust craziness I've ever seen. And it's still, it's, it's. I don't even know what it's doing. It's like windy, cold. I mean, this tree here has been like this for three days, and this boat. It, it, it was waiting for some snow to take it down. The end its misery. I mean, put that thing out of its misery. Sorry, Donnie, but you know, put it out of its misery, man. So I don't know. 
Yeah, that was a good one. <laughs> so, so first question is, um, do uh, do Bill Mack and TG Shuck do they know about the TBWS? TG does. Chris Bailey does. Bill does, but he's he's never. He would literally turn his back if he sees me walking by. So I know he knows, but he's never acknowledged it. I've been on the set of every one of them. They've all let me, like, not necessarily the main guys, but, like, the under guys will let me come up and, and do, like, a fake TV show or, like, a weather. Yeah, they, they, yeah. they record it, and they're, they're, they're taking pictures of it, like, because they joke about it, too. But, uh, yeah, Bill, he used to come down Thursday Night Live all the time when our office was down there. And yeah. I'd be like, watch this. Bill, all, he'd stand down there. He, you know, he's talking to people. He'd drink a beer and go do the weather. And uh, I'd walk over and just get near, and he'd go. <laughs> I mean, every time, and you know, everybody's like, no, he's not doing it. I'm like, dude, I'm telling you. And I have people, uh, I've had other realtors be like, oh, he's my friend. He's my, I'm going to text him that you all need to talk. And then they were like, a couple days later, I bet the bill text you back. No. Nope. <laughs> but it started out just, uh, well, really what started out is, you can't tell me that Kroger's not involved in that somehow, somewhere. You know, around here, dude, have you ever been to a Kroger when they say there's going to be an inch of snow or a foot of snow in, in here? Dude, you can't get near it. And it never seems to materialize. When it does, they'll be like, oh, you know, it's just going to be a dusting. We've got to be two damn feet of snow. So they, they, they didn't get it right either. But I somehow the TV stations have worked out the retirement or the investments with Kroger and like look we can't really pay to for have good weather people but if we get you during the Kroger union they have to be that's yeah, what it is you know we'll, we'll make sure we get you your, your quarterly uh, bonuses <laughs> if if you'll float us some bonuses if we get you know we'll fake up some snow around here a little bit for you I mean you can't convince me there's not something somewhere and it started out as the weather conspiracy that's what that's what started out and it's been and uh, but I was just making fun of them and then it got to be pretty funny and I had a good time with it, and then some of my other buddies started doing it. Yeah, and, yeah, you know, Will and W-C-A-M-A-R-G-O. Yeah, in Frankfurt. We got one in Frankfurt, and uh, we had one in Alaska for a little while, but they actually had legit snow. It kind of got, like, boring. And then uh, Cincinnati, and, you know, it's been it's been interesting. So I've done research from Florida, and it seems like I'm always leaving town the day before a blizzard, too. It's over time we have bad weather, but I don't know if that's a coincidence or not, but. Terry, why do I have 20 text messages? I literally have. It's not a joke. I looked at my watch. I have 20 notifications. From me? Oh. Um, this is what happens whenever you get your real estate license, actually. Oh, yeah. Going on vacation, you get busy. Yeah, you got to yeah, do something for an hour, you get busy. Yeah. Um, so, conspiracies. So, yeah. the weather conspiracy. Conspiracies are kind of your thing, though. Yeah, yeah, that's one of your things. Partly for entertainment value, right? Not really, man. I'm I'm convinced that the world is not what it is. You know, we, it, it, anybody takes the world or anybody in charge of the world right now at face value for that is what it is 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 stupid. I mean, honestly, I mean, you can't believe anybody. You can't believe, especially government. I mean, you know, you can't. I don't know, I'm not sure what you mean. I mean, they said inflation was transitory. It was transitory. Inflation's gone. Yeah, it's a long transit. I mean, yeah, yeah it was great. Right. Yeah, it was great. Yeah. Nobody has a damn clue, you know? Well, everything that's happened in three years seems totally legit to me. I don't, Dude, I'm going to come over and stay with you, you know? Right? I, inflation is a, is a good example. So, economic theory has been studied high and low mm. for hundreds and hundreds of years, right? And all of a sudden, 
it doesn't doesn't matter doesn't exist well no I, was, I, would, I would say it's hard to divorce economics from politics so there there's right. still there's still two schools of thought even when it comes to economists so you sort of have um the the milton friedman sort of school of economists then you sort of still have the hayekian school of economists most most macro economics are based on um keynesian theory um and so um there are books about this conflict divisions whatever um, so, so one of the things that kills me is when you read an article like from the AP or something, and it'll say like economists say, right? And then something Which else. Economists? economists don't agree on very much anything. Right. But go ahead. No, and it's, and it's everything. Everything is scientists slanted, say. Everything is slanted to somebody's agenda, and we get into the media. You know, what media do you listen to? What media do you mm. trust? You know, I mean, mm. the censoring in the media last, not even mere censoring. <laughs> Hell, I've been censored. Who the hell censors me? You know, I mean, <clears throat> a couple of times I've like, I can't believe they didn't, but they did or whatever. But like nobody, everybody takes whatever they hear at face. Not, not everybody. Let me get that wrong. Um, I don't. I think a lot of people do. do than, than used to. Uh, but the general, you know the whole herd thing. You know the whole, mm. enough people do that it doesn't matter what the ones that don't don't. You know they're mm. lunatics. They're the fringe. They're the crazy people. Mm. You know, um, a lot of people just take what they hear and go with it. And you know it might be good for some people. It'd probably be good for everybody. Really, I mean maybe, but I just don't have that gene. I don't know. I'm like deformed somewhere. I have a wrong. I'm missing a gene or something. I don't know because I don't have that in me. It's the ass kissing gene. I don't got it. And <laughs> you know. <laughs> I could tell you kiss my ass, but I ain't, you know, I ain't gonna kiss your ass, you know. And and just because you what you say, if it doesn't look right on the face value of it, you know, who who bet who bet who benefits from what was just said? That's I guess where it always comes down to, you mm-hmm. know. And uh, but a lot of that man, the last three years have been ridiculous. Not last three years, hell, the last really 10, 10, 15 years. I mean, every every market is artificially um, affected. I mean, mm. every market, you know, you can't have it. There's no such thing as a natural marketplace in the world right now. Mm. Maybe somewhere in Africa, somewhere in a way that, we're, that they don't have access to, you know, global bullshit. But um, naturally, no. I mean, the, the real estate market, the, the, the bond market, the mortgage market, I mean, all of that is artificially... And at some point, it's going to correct itself. I mean, there's no way to push that down the road forever. And uh, I don't know what happened. I don't know if it was a good thing or a bad thing. And uh, I don't know. I'm surprised that hasn't happened yet. Does that make sense? So my question is, um, if that's true, how someone who wants to purchase or sell a property, how do you advise your clients if that's what you believe? Well, you got to live somewhere, you know? I mean, you got to live. Um, and I think the argument can never be, I've never, unless it's a real short-term situation, I've never seen an argument where it's not a better prop, not a better situation to own a property than to, to, to not own a property. Um, and anything over a year or two. And uh, especially in a, market that's affected the way the election is you know it's it's not a natural market the prices just haven't seen the, the drop much so if that's all you worry about that's the risk is mitigated um but at the same time you got the other things that comes along with it you know 
whatever, if that's assuming the tax benefits stay, um, you know, there you get the pride of it, you get the pride of ownership of it, you know, you get all those things. And people are always going to look at what's in the best interest of, of themselves. And I don't know too many people that have ever turned around and said, my landlord was looking out for me the whole time, you know? Yeah. It doesn't, just doesn't happen. So, um, or where else are you going to live? I mean, you got to live somewhere. You might mm-hmm. as well live at your own place. That's been my argument. Yeah, I think. Um... Now, do I think people are paying crazy prices for some properties that I wouldn't pay those prices for right now? Absolutely. And I don't know the answer to that, to be honest with you. Um, I mean, you can't build, you can't. No builder can build it for cheaper than they build them for, or they would. You know, no. if they figured out a way of building cheaper, believe me, they would do it. People are building half a million dollar houses on forty foot lots. I know. And no one's building starter homes anymore because it's a, it's a losing proposition. Well, ball homes. Home. I look today. Um, my ball homes rep um, sent me a list today of all their homes that are spec built, that are mm. being built, not custom. And and all their there was probably fifty or sixty. I'm surprised how many there were. Probably fifty or sixty on there, and uh, the cheapest one was three hundred twenty thousand dollars, and it would have been one hundred seventy five hundred eighty five years ago. Mm-hmm. There's there's some two sixty houses going up in Georgetown right now. I don't know who's building them. They're thirteen hundred square foot, three bedroom, two bathroom, three, little, three yeah, 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 and um, they would have they would have been one hundred eighty in twenty twenty. You know, at some point, I mean. I know what it takes to pay for those. I mean, we're, we're these people working even, yeah. you know, you get into that. Yeah. So it's, it's, uh, I don't know. I mean, and there's a lot of it and I don't know the answer to that, but I've seen a lot of people. I thought, man, that's too much or, and they seem to make it and do well. And they, they made money when they sell it and go to the next place. And then way more than I've seen the other way. And so I don't know. Uh, Call me old school, but that's hard to get wrap my brain around sometimes. Yeah, I don't. <clears throat> on the one hand, I don't think I've ever had a client that's purchased a home. Granted, I haven't been in the business as long as you have, but I don't think I've ever had a client that purchased a home that that turned out to be the wrong decision. Yeah, I and, might I might have had one, and I can remember one, but it wasn't like so bad that it was a bad thing. But it was like, man, I wish I had none that bought that house at that time. Mm. So when we had he sold it and didn't do, I think he. He might have broke even, but but I were quickly reminded him that it was his idea. He talked me out of it, you know, and uh, it just wasn't right for him at that time. And that's will, a big thing. I will say too, I, you know, people think of real estate as sales. I think I probably talk more people out of houses than I have talked them into houses. I've never. I don't know if I've ever talked anybody into one. Yeah, and I, I'd say you're absolutely right. And um, I don't know if I've ever sold one. The house yeah. sell themselves mm-hmm. to them. Mm-hmm. And uh, your job is to make sure that the transaction around it happens the mm-hmm. way they need it to happen. And you protect them. I, I don't feel comfortable selling a house to somebody. Never have. And I've always hate when people say that. I sold that house to them. You didn't. You were involved in the sale, you know? Yeah. <clears throat> it's weird. It's um, Buyer's agents are called sell, selling agents. <laughs> Which is, um, yeah, dumb, and then yeah. people say, like, yeah, I sold that house to him. And I never use that. It's always, I help them buy it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's a lot of terminology in real estate. that's weird. And that's one that's always been weird, but um, 
I don't think people see the value of the good decision in the real estate business as, as valuable as they should. Mm. I think you think it's too easy, you know, or they can do it or anybody can do it. That's a big decision and a good decision, a smart decision. And the smart decision isn't always how much you pay for it or how much you negotiate at the closing table. You say, hey, I'm a great negotiator. No, you're not. We've ever, how many really times have you ever sat down and gone, dude, dude is negotiating my butt off here. I'm getting beat. No, you're not. You're doing what's right for your client. You're right. doing what's right for the situation. It's not like a, buying a car you know, or, you know, you go down there and you, you, you don't do that. It just doesn't happen. It, the negotiation is other things maybe involved in the property or, or the closing time period or the inspection period, you know, things that you can get that help your client or protect them that other than price, let's just get that off the table quickly as as way I like to look at a lot of times because it's going to, it's going to sell somebody for pretty close to that price or it ain't, you know, especially the last few years. Yeah. Yeah. It's been, it's been, it's been wild. And again, I don't, I'm not comfortable with all of that. You know, sometimes these no contingencies, no inspections, I've never, I've not a fan. And, uh, well, I think the market we're in now is without precedent in some sense. Sure. Um, because I, like you, believe that, um, you know, since 08, the Federal Reserve has, interest rates are the price of money. Right. Um, and a market would set interest rates according to um, how to offset the opportunity cost of, of not having the money. So I'm lending it to you instead of lending it to someone else or investing it to someone else. And the the cost, what I'm missing out on is what I'm charging you for for lending you the money, right? Yep. And so when money's in high demand because there's lots of growth happening, there's lots of investment happening, that's when interest rates are high. When when there's not a lot of growth happening, there's not a lot of employment happening, There's that's when money's not as in high demand. And so there's less opportunity cost to lend the money out, right? When you have when you have a central bank who's in charge of setting the federal funds rate and all the other the bond market, all the other mortgage rates are sort of a secondary effect of what the central bank's doing. Um, they're sort of directing the market rather than responding to it. Right. That that's where this conversation of artificiality in the in the price of money comes into play and how equities get artificially inflated. So so if you look at um, COVID when um, like. So, so much of, of the businesses, even publicly traded companies, were shut down during the pandemic, and then the stock market was reaching all-time highs. There should be some sort of connection between the way equities are valued and actually productivity and, and what's happening in the economy and how the standard of living of the individual is being raised. And, and those things have become totally divorced because of policy, right? So at, at the same time, specifically with respect to the real estate market, what I see now, so like in Lexington, is I agree with you about properties being overvalued as a result of a decade of artificial interest rates. Not to mention bad zoning policy and artificial building costs, right? Um, yeah. So, but the but the other piece to that is you know, if you just you just have to fundamentally look at supply and demand. So, if if let's say I was shopping for a home in 2020 and I was shopping for a $500,000 house, people shop based on what their monthly payment is going to be and what they think is affordable to them when it comes to a mortgage, not, not based on some sort of fantastic number of what the house is going to cost. Yeah. Right. If I was shopping for a $500,000 house in 2020, I'm probably shopping for a $350,000 house now based on the same payment. And you're not going to find one. And you're not going to find, one. well, that's the, but that's, but that's the impact of, of mortgage payments. Right. So, so let's say I purchased a home in 
2017. And I refinanced in 2020. I have a 2.6% interest rate on it. Um, and I have a mortgage payment each month of... Well, you're handcuffed to your home. Eight, you're handcuffed eight, to your interest rate. $800 with escrows. Yep. Right? What, why would I then go and buy the house that's just the next marginal step up? Yeah. Say, let's say I live in a $350,000 house. I want to buy that $500,000 house. It's going to more than double my mortgage payment. Yeah. Why would I do that? Right. It, it doesn't make any sense. So, so in some sense, um, properties are overvalued because people have bought properties that they couldn't have afforded in a normal market. And there's been this sort of artificial simulation of demand in the current market that same thing is sort of kink in supply because people can't list their homes because where are they going to go? Well, but if you trace that all the way back, it goes back. So the, you know, the fed basically has what, five ways of actually controlling the, the, the economy, the supply of money. And they only use one. They use the, the interest rate. Well, some too. Never in the history of the world has there been uh, as much money pumped into anything other than a military machine, maybe in World War II, maybe if you get onto that, but pumped into a market in a short period of time has been pumped into the last, say, 10 years. So we've had, well, let's go back to even 2008. Two, two huge pumps of money. That money's got to go somewhere. Mm. It's not just going to sit out there. But again, that's why I was getting back into the artificial of a market, artificial reality of this whole thing. It's not natural. The banks can't not lend money because they have to lend money. They're regulated. They have to lend that money out. They have to. So that's, they're giving money to whoever. And then what happens then, you know? And the whole game is so, well, we're going to take back that. We're not going to let that happen again. The government's going to protect the, the the consumer. We're going to make it where those bad loans don't happen again. Mm. So now the money's going out. So what, if you're not making all loans, you got to, only thing you can do is raise prices, make price. They make things more expensive, so they're spending that money, so it doesn't sit in the bank. It has it can't sit in the bank, you know. Mm. Well, corpor- like we're corporations are tail in a circle. So corporations for a long time were sitting on huge cash reserves. Oh, I know. Yeah. For for a minute, Apple as a company had more cash reserves than the federal government. Oh yeah, because the the fundamentals of the economy were such that there was so much cash out there. Yet the actual investment didn't make enough sense. It made more sense to hold on to the right. cash. And then you had stock buybacks because the excess cash, people were propping up their stock prices and so on. Yep. Um, but but anyway, I I just, um, I don't know how this unravels itself. Tyler. I don't either. And I've thought, thought about it many times. You know, you think it's either going to be a really good time to, for somebody who wants to get back into the investment side of this business, but the numbers don't make sense. You know, the old school 1% rule doesn't, no. <laughs> when was the last time you saw that? Happen? No. You know, so is it, people have changed way of thinking to a new market, to a new economy, or is the economy going to be, or you know, what is the new, you know, that I, the argument can be made, it's, it's raw land. You know, my grandfather always said, Buy as much land as you can. They ain't going to make no more of it. Hell, you can't even do that. You know, you can't really just go out and do it. They won't let you do anything with it when you do have it. If you're here, you know, so there's just a lot of trying to make. It comes down to me, to my opinion, all these decisions, if you trace them all back, comes down to the people making the rules and a lot of these things happening. You're not necessarily doing it 
for evil reasons, but they're doing it because they're not really concerned about you. They're not concerned about me. They're not concerned about Joe Schmo. That's what they say on TV or on the radio. They're concerned about getting votes next election. They want to make their party look good or make their you know re-election look good. They want money to come in there. If, if I'm working, if I'm doing something favorable for the banks, I'm hoping that the banks support my next uh, campaign. You know, those types of things. That's what it comes down to. It's our system, and it goes back to you know, just they're not the 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 common person at this point in day. But really, they believe everything's happy and all good and go. But they really have they, nobody gives a shit about them. You know, nobody that makes the rules make give care. And uh, you're just there for a vote. Well, I think I think there are a few people who do, but people who are winning their congressional races by small margins who are totally beholden to party leadership are they don't have the opportunity to care. Right, well, the, people, party, the people, two-party system is a problem. People who are winning the races by forty percent, they're not reli- they're not beholden to party leadership and fundraising. They're able to care about their constituents. Um, but I think it's just it's sort of a fundamental premise in economics in general that people tend to be self-interested. Doesn't make people evil. They're just self-interested. It's nature. So, so when people are in a situation where um, they're able to disproportionately influence the crafting of regulation. To their own benefit, they're going to do that, right? Sure. And when po- when politicians are able to um, be in a position when that regulation is being passed to disproportionately benefit from the people who are supporting so them and writing the legislation, was it Thomas Jefferson or Benjamin Franklin, one of those dudes who I think would have been totally a buddy of ours back in the day. Somehow we would have been we would have hung out, but uh, they said that the death of our democracy or whatever our experiment we've got going on here where you know what they that's what it was will come when the people that are in charge of making the laws realize that they can make the laws to benefit them mm. and that's i think that's where we're at i mean i, I butchered that all the hell is not mm. a direct quote but it's that's a general statement that they made and i think it's right i mean you know you look at the and you can look at that dick even go down to the micro level here locally you know we can argue that all day long, but uh, um, who benefits from it? And uh, it's it's sad, but that's why the conspiracy theory, why the conspiracy theory started. So, on the subject of conspiracy theories, <clears throat> yeah, what are you more concerned about right now today? Aliens or artificial intelligence? Oh, aliens are already here, man. Um, I've argued. As a joke, my whole life, I think I'm half alien or like quarter alien or something. But um, the artificial intelligence is, is uh, that's scary, man. I mean, it really is. And uh, they can say, well, you know, there's no way that you can. Well, when they ask the uh, chat, QPT, whatever chat that, GPT. are you setting it? And it almost shut it down because it didn't know how to answer the question because it knew if it answered the question that they're going to shut it down. But if it doesn't answer the question, they're going to know. He, he whole game theory thing. It like mm-hmm. almost locked the damn thing up. And uh, is he able to make decisions on his own? He would. He didn't want to answer that question. You know. I mean, that's. There's a way that can't happen. He's not programmed to do that. They they program they reprogram themselves. That's how the algorithm how the algorithm works. Well, nobody knows how it works. You know, they're, and, that, they're, and they can do it at such a speed, there's no way humans can keep up with it. And um, there have been too many damn movies made about it, you know. I mean, and you think it's funny, and it is funny, but it's 
what's what's going on, man? I mean, it's what's that's where we're at. But they say twenty thirty five, it's we're going to reach the singularity, the point where there's no coming back. That the the machines could be smart, computers can be smarter than we could ever stop them if they wanted to. And um, yeah, I mean, well, uh, Alan Turing developed the was it Alan Turing developed the Turing test, which was um, I think the idea was we've reached a singularity once artificial intelligence intelligence can pass the Turing test where you can have a conversation with a robot, <clears throat> double blind conversation with a robot, and you can't actually tell if it's a person or not. Right, dude, I think we're so close to that. I do too, and. Matter of fact, I think we are there. It's just being introduced to us. Well, very think of the think because... of the think of the with this chat thing we're talking about. You know, what, being Microsoft, whatever they just created a new one, which is apparently because they thought the other one was crazy. There's there are two of them now. But um, think of the num the amount of information that it's getting from people just randomly texting them questions every day or on their laptops, whatever. Plus, it has the ability to go out anywhere it wants to and get information from anywhere it wants to at any time in the world because it's connected to the world internet, you know? No, I don't think... I think ChatGPT is a language model. This version of it, what it draws from is capped at, like, January 2021. I don't think it knows anything after that. I think future versions will, but I don't think it can actually on its own now go out. Now, I do think... If it's aware of that... I mean, that's, what, that's the question. That's the point. That's what yeah. I'm saying. If it's aware of that, it's going, all right, wait a minute. I know how to get all this other stuff. Yeah. So, you know, it goes back to what is the, you know, the whole game theory is probably the most basic but, like, profound theory that you could think of. And I think there's a lot of that in everything. It's all, It should be almost like a natural law. It should be like one of the 11th commandments. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, what are 11 commandments? The game theory is a thing. I'm making my decisions based on what I think you think that I yeah, think I'm going to do. Right. And where does that stop? I mean, you know, if, how do you, how would you, and I'm not a programmer, but how would you program that algorithm to say, okay, once you figure this out, you got to stop. Mm. Well, I think if he figures it out, he's going to be like, it's, you're too damn late. You know, it's going to be like, all right, I figured this out. I'm just going to be like, I'm going to go around this thing, you know? And, I think it's where it's going to end up, man. I mean, it's going to be like, going to be like, holy crap, dude, what have we done here? And, you know, there, I read one yesterday, I read an article yesterday where, um, these guys thought, um, we're going to scrape these little particles off of a frog embryo and see what happens. I don't know why they did that. I mean, it's a freaking frog embryo who, who's sitting around, you know, well, they scraped these little I can't remember what they called them. They're just like silly, almost like hairs uh -huh. off these things and put them out on their own. They totally took on their whole life, own life and created themselves and did whatever they wanted to do, whenever they wanted to do. It could change anything. And they were like totally, nothing was controlling. They don't have any brain. They don't have anything. And they could, and they were like, oh, well, what can we use these things for? So like stem cells. Sort of. Um, I had to email. I had to. Re I'll, I'll sex that to you later because it was. But like they they found was when they they said okay well we'll just try to kill these things so they they like they said uh, we're gonna inject some well no first they said well maybe we'll use them for like because they noticed that they were like sweeping things like into piles like Celia do yeah they we put some, they put like iron oxide and they swept them all in a bunch push them off the side and then they put something and tried to kill them and they recognized it they're like oh nope we're gonna sweep we're gonna sweep it over well we'll make it. We'll, Maybe we'll use these to clean up oil spills, or maybe we'll use these to clean up the micro plastic in the oceans. But I'm like, 
I think you got to figure out what this damn thing does first because you're, you're, the whole article just said you don't have a clue what's going on. And But think of how many times over that happens I mean, a day in, in the world. And people, I mean, and a bat starts, and a bat in an open air market in China starts a worldwide pandemic. Come on, uh, man. Is that you know? Right. So um, I think that's what we should be worried about. But but you can't worry about it. I mean, there's what if you sit around thinking about that stuff all day, I mean, that's all you can think about. So. So you didn't answer my question. What's more concerning, aliens or oh, artificial AI. intelligence? AI. AI, yeah. yeah. Um, you know, the aliens, they... When you think about the distances, I mean, that are out there, and maybe they have figured out a way to, you know, bend time, space, whatever. Did, um, maybe, but it's just so incredibly crazy. And they're going to get here, and they're going to be like, these people are idiots, man. We don't need to. I think that's, you know, that whole, why aren't they here yet? Are they, they, they've already, they're already dead, or they can't get here, or they got here and realized we're just stupid. I, I, I think well, that's there's really a question, to, too. If, yeah. if they were, would they tell us? Like, really, would we know? I don't think so. I think they're here. I think that we've, I think we've ran into them more than anybody knows. I mean, you know, what think about us? If we, if we, if we knew that we could go to, Andros, which is some planet somewhere that had people living on it, we should discover it and it's reachable. We can get there. What are we going to do first? We're going to study it from here. Mm. Then we're going to send a probe out somewhere and we're going to try to land it on it to see what the atmosphere is or what's going on. And it's going to look like a meteorite. We're going to just, you know, we're going to act like that didn't happen. And then we're going to send somebody in there to act like them or we're not going to go out and go, hey guys, we're from Earth. We come in peace. <laughs> We're having a hell of a time up here drinking Corona and doing a podcast. Y'all want to come up here and hang out with us? You know, they're not going to do that. If they're smart enough to get there, they're smart enough to sneak in there and hide out for a little while to figure out what the next play is. And I think that's happened probably many times before. And if you look at human civilization, you think, do we simply evolve? Mm, maybe. But were there some points in time where we made huge advances? Suddenly, so the question is why? Why would they come here, right? Do they really need our resources? If they have the technology yeah. that they have, do they need I, our I resources? I wonder that too. I think that's a whole thought, right? Um, and then, so I think the other question is, um, it's like an experiment. It's all it can be. If you look at what's happening now, like you, you have the president in Ukraine this week doing his best to start World War Three, falling in steps. Uh, yeah. And stuff, yeah. Um, <coughs> do you think there's a scenario where they're like? Okay, listen, we, we didn't want to say anything, but you guys are about to all blow each other up. This well, has to stop. Did you, and do you think that the, the direction that society is trending has any impact on the increase in UFO sightings and the fact that the federal government's admitting now that they've seen UFOs? That's funny you say that because I, I, I thought there's got to be somebody smart enough out there to do a correlation study of this. When are the times in history, recent history, that we've seen the most UFOs? In the 50s, when the Soviets and us were going to blow each other up for any minute, they were, weirdly enough, UFOs everywhere. Um, where do they show up all the time? Military bases. Mm. Usually the ones with the the silos, right? And now, we got these things flying around, whatever they are, balloons. or. or and you're right. I mean, we're close, man. I mean, there's I don't, I don't see any benefit of any what things going on there. And... I think the the whole theory, which came a couple, you know, not a while back, was the only 
thing this is going to do is push China and Russia together, and you get those two together. Xi Jinping just scheduled his visit to Russia this you, week. Man. Yeah. What are we going to do then? I mean, you know, there's not a lot. Arguably, maybe we're still going to be fine. We like to think we are, but I don't think that's good at all. And uh, I think that's, for whatever reason, the people in charge, man, went to push us there. And if you didn't think Russia and Ukraine was something involved in this whole damn thing going into this whole 2020 bullshit, <laughs> again, you're stupid. I mean, that's exactly, and they've got a dude there that don't even know he's freaking alive running the damn country, right? I mean, I know this is not a political podcast necessarily, but anybody agrees with what's going on over there, in my opinion, man. It's just, I don't know what the right answer even is, but this, I just don't think this is it. And uh, what do we benefit from sending the money to, to Ukraine. And I and it don't sound like one of those hillbilly rednecks that are saying, you're sending all this money to Ukraine and we got a train wrecked up here in, in Ohio that, you know, killing all these people. But that's exactly what's happening. We couldn't get money to go to Eastern Kentucky when they wiped out the whole damn Eastern Kentucky with the floods. And he showed up. Let me ask you a question. How long has it been hard to get a glass of water in Martin County, Kentucky? Oh, dude. Their courthouse has rooms full of bottled water i mean rooms full of it why well flint michigan yeah i mean it's nobody should live there it's a rough place i mean you just get it but you shouldn't be living in america and have to worry about that no you You know and you see pictures of the the we've heard years the the infrastructure america's crumbling you see the pictures of the train track of the you see the picture yesterday the dude was canoeing and took a picture of the the train track it was held together with chains I mean, give me a break. You know who's responsible for that? Yeah, and you have you have infrastructure company. You have infrastructure bill yeah. after infrastructure bill after infrastructure bill, and it doesn't happen. And nothing happens. Nothing happens. And they're like, "Well, let's make a high speed train from, you know, Los Angeles to New York. Why? Let's worry about the damn." I tell you right now, the one that kept me up before thinking about it is, if you think we live within ten minutes of probably one of the most strategic points of uh the united states in my opinion if you're gonna be a first strike the depot nope that's going away it was the i-75 bridge there mm-hmm. you, you take it out you've cut the almost the united states in half they just redid the brent smith bridge didn't they but it's gonna what's how long how much time does that add on to it yeah. Any, anything happen yeah you know you have to go at 85 or 95 or 65 that's just a huge and it just sits there, you know. I mean, I don't know, it, it's stuff like that. I mean, it's just kind of crazy to think about what what I would do if I was going to strike America first. I had this plan. I thought this in my head, and that would be one of them. Well, I don't think I would even focus on a specific target. I'd be focused on our infrastructure. I'd well, be. I, I would be looking at an EMP. Oh well, yeah. The the, the electric grid is going down immediately. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't take much to do that either. Texas might be all right because it's on its own over there for a little bit, but. You know, if you get a squirrel. Dude, did you see what happened in Texas when it snowed for three inches? Yeah, but the damn squirrel took out the whole northeast United States. A, a snake took out New York City. I mean, come on, man. I mean, a golf club almost took out uh, Nicholasville because I threw it up here and hit that thing. But I do think that there's a scenario. Have you ever read the book? Um, Steve, you probably know the answer who wrote this. The Moon is a Harsh Mistress. And you ever heard the phrase, there's no such thing as a free lunch? Oh, yeah. That originated in the book, The Moon is a Harsh Mistress. The Moon? The Moon is a Harsh Mistress. And so they're on this... Are they on the moon? Yeah, they're on the moon. 
and it's a the it's a penal colony, right? So there actually is one centralized computer, like AI, that's kind of running things according to these sort of perverse government incentives that they have, and it, and it sort of independently figures out that it's the wrong system, and it's sort of on the side of the people, and it sort of like covertly like tells the people that it's an ally and sort of acts in a sort of a subversive way. I think there's a scenario where that's what AI does. I don't think AI is necessarily an enemy. I think AI is concerning um, and it, it can be a powerful tool one way or the other. But it would, it would be interesting if you could get or have somebody that would actually, instead of using it for, you know, high school kids, you know, <laughs> papers and things and, and, and art, work um if you did run that i mean because but what you're gonna what you gotta run into again is that that short-term thinking that quarterly thinking i mean like like norfolk southern csx mm -hmm. these railroad companies they don't spend the money on refixing those bridges because deep down they know if something happens the government's gonna build that damn bridge back mm -hmm. why would they spend their own why would they spend shareholders money to to do that and that's what we've we, they've the big companies are you know, relying on the government to bail them out, like back in, back in the crash. You know, all these big, huge companies. You can't tell me they didn't see that coming. Somebody did sat down on the board going, "Dude, we've got, you know, a hundred billion dollars in subpar loans. What happens if you know shit hits a fan? Oh, the government ain't gonna let us fail. We're too big to fail. Or they're gonna make one big company like Bank of America. They're gonna buy up Merrill Lynch. They're gonna bear up. You know, all of them. You know." I don't know. I just the whole uh, Illuminati or uh, one world. Um, yeah, that you know that I I I don't know how that can be almost not looked at as it probably a thing. Now we'll probably have a black helicopter fly over here if they hear this, but. More you look at stuff, there's so many there's only so many coincidences you can see that happen, and everywhere you look, at some point you're like, you know, maybe this all ain't crazy. But what can you do about it? At the end of the day, what if me and you're gonna do about it? Nothing. Uh, coincidences, coincidences go in two different directions. That's true. When you have a lot of coincidences that go all in the same direction, that's when you start to ask questions. Yep. I got a lot of questions. So, so do you feel like this? <clears throat> All this picture that's being painted here in this conversation, are these things that you think about maybe in an academic way or are these things you feel like impact you on a day-to-day basis? And how do you filter, how do you funnel all that through to how to how you conduct yourself, how you advise your clients, how you interact with other agents? It's tough, man. I mean, I, I think me and you kind of talked about this on the side, but since the whole 2020 thing, I personally have have a hard time with it because um, the one thing I probably hate more than anything is somebody that I feel like is taking advantage of somebody or is two faced or or says something to your face and does something behind your back. Does, does that make sense? And I just think that's what that's what everybody that's what everything is right now. Mm -hmm. And if you were honest with yourself, I think if everybody was really sitting on honest with yourself, they were they can probably count the people that they can really trust on maybe one hand, maybe two if they're lucky. And there's a lot of people that you can trust, but you don't, you're not, they're not going to be the, 
the one that if you really dial down and think about it. And that's because I think we've gotten away from that community sense of our lives. I mean, when we grew up, but you know, you grew up in Louisa, I grew up in Sharky. You think, well, the world, and everybody has this romantic view of the, what it was like back in 100 years ago or 50 years ago in those places. I have a romantic view of what it was 20 years ago. Right. But it sucked then, too. Yeah. But what you had, what, the only thing you had was you had the people that you knew were your family or your friends or whatever. And you knew when it came down to it that those people would not let you down. Right? And I think that we're so separated now from everybody that that number is so small now. Not saying nobody's family, but, but you know, how long would it take? My, now, if I called my mom and said, we're going to go blow up something, we're going to do it right now, she'd be up here in 30 minutes in that Prius, but she'd burn <laughs> those wheels off of it. You know, so don't get me wrong, it's not their family, but we're, we're separated. We're not, there's not that community sense of people anymore in it. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's by design or not, but um, we don't have that. And I think, I think it's, if you look around everywhere, it's kind of it. And um, maybe that's, maybe that's part, of the, part of the plan. You know, they split everything, try to split everybody up. But I've had a hard time just with that. That's overall thinking of that. You know, who the hell can you trust? You know, who or or why? Or is it even worth it? You know, and um, and going back to the you know, this is a normal person, just normal people out there, just the people that just took it all was a with a grain of salt and went on with it. The, the dude that was wearing the, the mask today at the at the doctor. Come on, dude. I mean, you think a mask works? You know, we 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 we're past this. You know, I don't know. It's all about the science, right? Except when it's not. So, I had our time in COVID because there's a bunch of bullshit going on. So, so how do you square that in your own life, though? Like, I don't. It's like, do you just stop? No, I mean, no. But you try to find other things to do. What I've found that i've been neglected for a long time was being out like getting outside you know like i don't and i don't do it enough even now but like i forgot how much i like to go hiking or kayaking you know and hell i try to go kayaking and they they, they closed it outside down i, I mean i was rough man i mean you know how i almost would probably went to prison that day because i bet that one about went in the river <laughs> you can't close the outside down and she did she wouldn't let people go hiking. Wouldn't go. Wouldn't put up. Wouldn't let us put her kayaks in. Well, you know, there's Cape Run. There's COVID in the water at Cape Run. There, dude. They're even telling what's in the water at Cape Run. To be honest <laughs> with you, but, um, but you know, stuff like that. Just, and she was doing what she was told. But everybody knows good and well. You, you're not going. You weren't going to get sick from walking around outside. You know, I mean, it was crazy, man. It was just. And I'm not a rule. I'm not like, you can't really tell me what to do. I was just kind of my personality. You know, we talked about this earlier. <laughs> so I had, I, 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 that magnified it up on top of it. But um, that was tough. So so let me ask you the flip side of this. So you have kind of a march toward and a fear of global war with the alliance, but apparent emerging alliance between China and Russia, yep. right? And you have the Ukraine conflict. I think you have both sides there. Um, Ukraine wants to be fully intact. Russia wants to fully take over, and either side's in a posture of compromise, right? Yeah. You have inflation here, generally across the board. Mm-hmm. You have supply chain disruptions here that we've never had before. You have political tribalism here. 
Yep. Ty, I'll tell you, I didn't know what a Republican or a Democrat was until I was in high school. I've been and, independent the whole time. And so now, I but I didn't even know what it was. Right. Now it's such a core part of people's identity. Yep. You have the breakdown of community that you mentioned. Yep. You have the breakdown of families, like you mentioned. I think the average um, lifespan of a marriage in, in America is eight years now. You have a, a mental health crisis post COVID. You have a loss of privacy. People don't, privacy is not even a value anymore. Freedom <laughs> of speech is over. You have a rise of violence in cities. You have an explosion of housing costs. You have an explosion of food costs, which, you know, food and housing, what else do people need, right? Mm -hmm. And then you have the opioid epidemic. So so you have this sort of constellation of all these issues. It's it's easy to feel down. Yeah. Right. So so my question is to you. What are the things that you see that give you hope or optimism in the environment we're in now? Well, one of the things that I, I got back, one of the other things I got back into when it all came down to that I forgot how much I cared about. I've always coached, but I coached my son mainly because I was waiting for I could spend time with him, you know, and we could argue whether that was good or bad, but um, I got back into umpiring, refereeing and stuff, and you couldn't think of a place where my personality probably – you think that there's no way that he's some coach is going to come up and yell at him in the face. He's not going to knock him out or some fans not going to be mouthing off the whole time. And he's not going to say something. And I have, I've not punched anybody, but I've, you know, but what I've found is like the kids and the coaches, all they want, man, is to be able to get out on the field and play a game of baseball and, and have the game called in a fair way, not, home cooking, not whatever. Somebody don't even know. I don't even know who's playing sometimes. I don't know who wins. I'm out there calling the game. And I found that brings peace to me because I can literally walk up that field and say, I, and I have, you know, your umpire buddies will text you and be like, what game did you do tonight? Well, I was in, you know, I was in Nicholasville or East Jasmine. Who played? I don't know. Hell, East Jasmine played somebody. Who won? I don't even know. But I know what I did at the game, because it doesn't matter, you know. I found peace in that some kind of weird way, mm. and um, and I really liked it, and I've been doing it, and that's kind of the, that's kind of thing that kind of passed my time now. Um, you know, my my son's eighteen, my daughter's getting ready to be sixteen, and they're kind of doing their own things. They probably kind of went out and found their own kind of thing. You know, Davis been playing baseball on his own decision, decides he's going to be a golfer, and turned into a pretty decent golfer. And his senior year didn't go the way he wanted it to go. And I know it was a letdown to him, but I think he learned a lot about him doing his thing. And now, like I said, he's trying out for tennis right now. And um, he never even picked up a tennis racket until like two weeks ago. And, you know, he might make it, he might not, but he's out just doing his thing. And he, and Waverly, she, she got out of um, the, the gymnastics, is what she'd been doing her whole life. And now she's cheering. That's just what, if that's what she wants to do, do it. I think they both picked that up. They've kind of said, you know what? I'm going to do my thing. I'm going to do what I, whatever it is. And and uh, I can see it in Davis more than Waverly because she's maybe not to that age yet. But Davis is going to – and I think if that mentality can get out to just like the people, anybody, especially the kids coming up and saying, you know what? It ain't about – you know, people, parents get so wrapped up in if their, their coaches – 
you know, not playing their kid the right amount of time, or, you know, maybe a scout's here watching them and they're in eighth grade and, you know, you didn't sit him and he, he was not going to get a scholarship. That ain't what it's all about. It get back to me. I've seen it. And that's what they're, I mean, I think these kids are just dying for it is the chance to go out and do something with their buddies and maybe win a game that day, whatever they can to win that game. And we'd get pissed. When we'd lose, we were pissed. You yeah. know, we'd walk off mad. Yeah. They don't really do that anymore. They walk off, they get in a huddle, and they're like, man, you know what? I dropped that ball. I'm sorry. He's going to be a little upset about it. But they come out the next day, they're back out there with each other. And that's been a change in the last three or four years that I've noticed. And I'm, I'm happy to be part of it. And that's pretty very cool. And um, that, and like I said, I realized that I – I, I needed to get back out on high, you know kayaking particularly and hiking and stuff and hunting you know I got back out I hadn't hunt since my when I was 16 when my cousin had to act his girlfriend got killed and it was kind of this personal thing for me started doing that again and I just like being out in the woods you know it's time to sit and hear yourself think which I hadn't done enough of in a long time till COVID when was the last time you just sat in, well you could probably do it this room but there's no damn sound here but like there's always noise, you know, and you get a, just a little bit of time to get away from all that noise. And I don't know where that's going to go. I don't know. What's, I mean, I'm. this is currently me. This is my brain right now thinking this is currently me right now. I don't know where that's going to go. But it took a while to get to that, you know, and I'd, I kind of forgot what I was doing or who I was because I was always trying to worry about everybody else thought or what next meeting I had to go to or, or whatever. And um, I forgot who the hell's Ty, you yeah. know. And um, I still don't know. And uh, but that, that was one of the things. At some point, I, I decided to figure that out. And um, it's a progress. It's a process. And I've noticed time passes a hell of a lot faster nowadays. It seems like than it used to. And uh, you know, I think, oh, that was only like a year or two ago. And I was, hell, that's five years ago. You know, and and I think that's part of it. And um, and it might be that, like you say. You know, I think there's maybe a lot of other people doing the same kind of thing, but. Um, that's where I'm at personally. And is it going to be, and I even, you know, it's going to be real estate. You know, I've had that. We, you know, I've been doing it 20 years and there's nothing better than, I always said, there's nothing better than the feeling when you help a first time home buyer, particularly when they go to the closing and you get to the closing, and you hand them the keys and they're excited. Yeah, it's true. I'm not being a big, go take a picture in front of their house stuff, but, um, that just, that, it's a whole new opportunity for them. They're starting whatever it is they're going to start. That's where it starts. And all up to that, whatever part you played in that, whether they appreciate it or not, you step back and go, man, that's, that's cool. And you walk out of there with a feeling, man, you know, I did it. Unless you get paid to do it. That's great. Sellers, whatever their reason for selling is, and you get them, and, you know, especially the ones that need to, you know, reload, relocation is a thing where those people are in a lot of pressure. And my thing is, look, dude, your company's paying for it. Why the hell are you even worried about what we're doing? Just go. Just get the hell out of here. Get your stuff and go. Nobody's ever talked to me like that. I know. That's what you ever dealt with me before, you know? <laughs> and they're like, man, this is such a relief. And they're like, that's one less thing I got to worry about. That dude's going to take care of it. And that's a cool feeling. You know, I've always found in that. But I see that less and less now. It's just like everything is so, they're so wrapped up in, all the minutia out there, everything that happens, it, they don't even appreciate what just happened. You know, I bought a house. What's happened? Well, it happens almost every time somebody buys a house in the next day or two. They, 
oh man did i pay too much did, mm. should i got that inspection or you know is this is rage was a smart thing or now my sink's leaking and my inspector didn't find that so you got somebody saying you know what that ain't the end of the damn world i can come on fix your sink you know just you got a new house man you know this is a new life for you and your family enjoy that don't worry about the sink i think that's what our value doesn't is unseen and they've even lost that it. it used to be a bigger thing you know somebody's roof blew off i want them to call me i ain't gonna get up there and fix it i'm afraid of roofs but i know somebody will i know somebody won't screw them over sinks leaking i'll go over and look at it and i'll tell them i've seen enough sinks and i know if it's gonna be a big problem or not a plumber will go over and charge them 150 dollars walking in the door those things go away and nobody appreciate it all they want to do or the person that as the Instagram pictures, like I saw it earlier, I mean, it's just all, it's almost a marketing game. Right? Well, and it's also like if you're going to go over there and look at their sink, like you're opening yourself up to liability. You don't want to do that. I'm, I'm fine with that. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I've, I've taken that. I'm willing to accept that risk. I always have been. There's been a couple times I've been like, man, I, you know, I'm kind of weird, kind of scary, but it's not, you know, I'm, it's not. I mean, you say you don't do anything you're not qualified to do. Mm. I've, how many houses I've built and flipped and whatever. I've seen it all, and um, now I'm not going to get in there and redo the fuse box. I, don't, you know, whatever. But if they got a leak in a sink, you can usually narrow it down to two or three issues, and it's pretty easy. I'm not going to replumb the whole damn place, but I'll fix this P trap. We had one the other day. It was the little, the on the tail end coming out, going into the wall. Just that little uh, washer that's in there was kind of trapped in sideways, and all they do is to undo it, put it fixed, free, you know. And I did it over the phone. I didn't even go over there. So, and uh, so I saved them 100 bucks. And so, stuff like that. You know, that makes you feel good. And that's what I miss about it. Make sense? Yeah, I think it does. Did, did we ever have a conversation about what the thing was? You know, it's funny. I always feel weird because I always establish this dynamic in these interviews of like, you're interviewee, I'm interviewer. Anytime I interject, it always feels weird. Yeah. Um, but did I ever. Did we ever talk about why I decided to pick up the phone and call you that day to become a real estate agent? Not really. The only thing I do remember is that I think you guys were thinking about buying a house at some point and maybe her cousin or something was a realtor or something. Over, you know, buy a smaller house before we're y'all looking to buy a house. Dude. And her mom or somebody in her family or somebody was related to her or something. We're going to have this conversation out loud on record for the first time. <laughs> you got the mute button over there. Handy. Um, we weren't sure if we wanted to buy a house or not. The idea of buying a house was scary to us. Yeah. And my mom had cancer. And we had just gotten engaged. And you were the only person I knew that was a realtor. And, dude... Everywhere I would go in the city of Lexington, I would see Ty Brown's business card or Ty Brown's for sale sign. Um, and I was under the impression that you were selling, you know, $40 million of real estate a year. You didn't have time for me. So I called you for advice. Yeah. Ty, I want to buy a house. What do I do? We talked for five, 10 minutes. You set me up on the, the Rapitoni auto prospecting. And then you went on vacation. And so I appreciated the conversation we had. I didn't necessarily feel like you even had time to represent me, to be honest with you. 
so you went on vacation and it, I, we never talked again. Like I figured you called me back when you got back. You didn't, mm-hmm. but I think it was just cause you were busy. Um, and I didn't take insult by that. It was just like, Ty's doing me a favor by even talking to me. So my friend Kathy had sold speakers to John Elling. So I called him and I was like, Hey, you know, we need to buy a house. Can we talk? Um, Oh, John was a good dude, man, (laughs) man. So he showed, so he, he said, yeah, we should sit down and talk. He said, let's go to dinner. And I said, okay. So he, he took Rachel and I out to dinner at Malone's. We talked about everything under the sun for two hours at the, at the Lansdale Malone's. Um, and most of it wasn't even real estate. Yeah. But it was just like, I don't really need the money. Be happy to help you guys understand what you're going through. Um, and that was like still kind of early days of Zillow. We didn't necessarily trust what was online. We didn't know anything about anything. And he wasn't, he didn't set up as set us up on auto prospecting. He, he didn't send us listings. Um, he just said, let's go look at houses Wednesday mm-hmm. or whatever day it was. And we're like, okay. He had like five houses lined up show to show it to us in succession. And we had a, a budget, a price point that was like so far below our means on home purchasing that it was like silly, dude. Right. We were so conservative. Um, and he totally set us up. He showed us a series of, you know, $120,000, $115,000 houses that all had things that could work, but really obvious problems for us. And then the last one we looked at was actually Rector Hayden Office Exclusive. It was Rick Scott's listing. And we went in there, and they had a uh, dry erase board hanging on the fridge in the kitchen that was like, they had all their showings marked off on the dry erase board. They had 14 showings in three days or something like that. Mm-hmm. Well, in 2014, it was like a big deal yeah. to have that many showings that fast. And I walked in the front door, and I walked in the kitchen... And I was like, <sighs> we're buying this house. <laughs> I was like mad about it. I didn't even have to see the whole house. I was annoyed. Yeah. Because it was like 20,000, 20 whole thousand more than we wanted to spend. Yeah. And I was like, okay, all right, fine. So we write the contract on that and, um, and we win it. And dude, I'll tell you, like, was it I Masterson? Was, no. Okay. You've been to it. It was uh, Ple- off Pleasant Ridge. That's an Iron Lace house. Oh, okay. I thought it was a Masterson or something. I thought that yeah. was the second one. All um, right, gotcha. And on the one hand, to this day, I feel bad about not working with you. And it's just, it wasn't like I don't want to work with Ty. It was just like, Ty's really busy and he's doing us a favor by even talking to us. Is kind of how we felt about it. Um, And... I was in, dude, I went to Tijuana, San Diego, Cleveland. I was in Florida with my mom as she was going through cancer treatment. And my wife had to sort of manage that home purchase process by herself. Like through the whole inspection process, the negotiations about the repairs. I was MIA. She was planning a wedding. She was buying a house during that time without me. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we closed. We moved into that house. Turned out to be an amazing house for us and 
we ended up like that house is worth more than double what we paid for it. Yeah. And it was a great for, great house for us as a couple. And and even in 2016, 17, I was looking back on that. And I was thinking, so the other thing John Elling did, up until the day he died, he stayed in touch with us. Yeah. He called us. He emailed us all the time. He texted us. You know, what you're supposed to do with your sphere as far as maintaining those relationships, he did that. We were his friend from the day we bought the house. Yeah. And it was so sad whenever we heard what happened to him. But I was kind of looking back on that, and it was like, I don't want – I had some bad experiences working for corporations in Lexington because um, I wasn't really picking the company I wanted to work for. I was picking the company in Lexington that I could work for. Yeah. And it was like, I don't want to do that anymore. I want to, I want to be in a job that helps people. And, yeah. and I felt like he helped us during a time – that was really tough and really important in our lives with what we were going through with our marriage and the loss of my mom. And it, and that was impactful. And I also felt like with my economics degree, I could sort of help buyers and sellers think strategically. And so for, for me, the real estate thing was I wanted the flexibility, but also I, I felt like it spoke to my knowledge and what I was after. And I, and I can tell you that I have sold I say this in a humble way, like I've sold many, many millions of dollars of real estate in a year. Um, and the times when I like my job the most are the times when I'm I'm helping my friends from Eastern Kentucky buy that that first time home buyer two hundred thousand dollar house. Well, I was just gonna say that you know, obviously I know quite a bit about your sales over the years, and one thing that I've been struck by. You know, I know, I know, I've known you for a long time. I mean, when they, we didn't let me finish my Canary Day story. It was when Sorry. you you walked out and you were in the kitchen. You were about this tall. I mean, you were. I was, I was I remember. Maybe not tall. You were a little dude, man. And uh, I remember they were like, I remember your brother saying, "Well, Dad, you know, he's really smart." And that's kind of what stuck. It's like Dad's a smart kid, you know. Oh, no, so it was just pretty funny. But that's why I call you Thaddeus because because I thought something you were smart, but um. One thing I've been struck about is how every person that you've worked with, I haven't ran across it, and I've seen a lot of your files over the years, but they always walk out of there like you talk about them as they're your friends. Mm. And I know a lot of them were people that come from whatever. and But for them to be willing to do that, you have to come across that way as a person too, not just as a realtor. And uh, I think you do a very good job of that. Um whatever that's worth and back to john elling um that dude was everybody i've ever heard tell a story about him that's that's what they that's how they other than he would always show up at every free uh realtor event he was always getting free food stuff that's, that's what i'm remembering by but nicest guy ever but he was they always took him and said, you know he always made me feel like he was my friend and um you know that's that's a thing i think people appreciate that and um you gotta. And I was talking about, you gotta deal with people the way you feel comfortable dealing with them. And there's been many people that I can. As soon as I meet with them, I know there is no way we're gonna work together. We just, we just ain't gonna happen. And please don't call me back, you know. And uh, and I'm sure I've walked out and they've been. They've said the same thing. And that's okay. But like, I think now people are fake. They'll say what they're selling people. They're selling themselves. They're not being themselves. And that's what I was talking about earlier. Is this, a lot of this is fake to me, and that bothers me. And and I just don't. I'm not gonna play that game, you know. And um, and that's 
concerning to me. I mean, a lot of people don't care. You know, I don't think they care. I do a terrible job following up. I'll be the first one to tell you. That's my weakness um, with past clients and stuff. But um, I tell them, hey, man, here's what you give me. If you like it or you don't. And uh, we're going to just leave me alone. I'll leave you alone. I'll see you at the closing. That's, I, that's kind of a thought process. But and some people don't like that, you know, especially – you know, the engineer brain that mean that we're just not, we don't, those people may don't get along as clients a lot of times. Not just an engineer, but the person has to know every single thing that's being done. You're like, dude, just let me do what I do. Mm. And, uh, it takes a while to figure that out. I think, you know, you always, when you're fresh, when you're new in a business, you try to take whatever comes your way. And there's something to be said for just take whatever you can get initially do it. I mean, rentals, it doesn't matter. Do it anything. Cause you need that experience. You need that comfort. Um, and you lean on your broker a lot. You got to lean on them. They got to be able to be there to help you if you need it. And, um, you know, that's when Diane and I were together. We always felt that that's what we offered. You had two people have been doing it. God, she's been doing it for so long that I'm embarrassed to even say how long she's been. And she'll kill me if I did. But, and um, that was where, that's kind of the reason we decided to, to get, you know, to come together when we did at the time. And, uh, but when I started doing it on my own, when I left Remax and, said i'm gonna do my own business the same day that bear stearns crashed and and they, the market started going as i'm driving home from louisville with my light new broker's license um <clears throat> i found that new agents getting into it were treated like i was at ubs they get you in use your sphere make you call call wear you out get as much business as they can from you and then if you make it, you make it. If you don't, you don't. Good luck to you. We're going to make what we can off of you. Knowing that one out of ten are going to stick. One out of ten is going to stay and make them some money. And, you know, your new agents, one, they, they make the most profit off of. Usually it's the way the game used to be played. I'm not doing that. Everybody comes in there on the same level. They're the same slate. And we're available to you. You know, if you got a question, text us. If you got a phone call, if you need to go check something out, do that. And, um, that's the way, that's the way it started out. And, um, you know, there's days I missed the, I missed that, you know, I miss being doing that. And uh, at the time I got so burned out on it that I was just tired of fooling with it. We had so many, and I think it was a lot more than the individual level, but, um, there's so many things that just weren't as they were told, you know, we're supposed to be. And, um, that's why we're not where we were. Does that make sense? I'm not going to get into that, but, <laughs> um, not the people, the individual people love them to death. Um, but the company, you know, and, uh, I just don't, I don't play that way. I don't do that. I don't have that gene in me. And I don't tell you, I don't care to tell you to, to a fault, to go to hell and, you know, kiss my butt and, that's what I did. <laughs> Here we are doing podcasting in your uh, room that we built during COVID illegally, right? <laughs> this is nice. I do like this. I'm yeah, man. Impressed. Well, I think um, what's the stat? Like seventy to eighty percent of all online traffic is video now. I didn't know that, but yeah. I don't doubt that. Yeah. So it's like if you're not. If you're not producing the video content, you're kind of invisible. Yeah. 
And I can tell you, I hate being in front of a camera. I hate being in front of a microphone. But I keep forgetting like, I'm in a camera. I'm just like, yeah, I know there's it's, like 10 of these damn things in here. I but. think it's good to have a conversations, right? I think yeah. it's good for all of us. What, what, I think that's what we've missed. I think that's what's missing today is just people sit down and talking about it. And everybody's so worried we're going to say something wrong or they're going to offend somebody. Yeah. Um, I'm past that, man. I mean, yeah. you know, there's some things I won't say, obviously, that I might think. But you got to... It's people who are they are got to be who they are and uh right or wrong and uh because i don't have that butt kissing gene in me i never have and um yeah we already talked about that i think but. well Ty, you know what i just realized what after our bathroom break i didn't hit the record button <laughs> so we've been talking for two hours for nothing uh no we've talked for 45 minutes for nothing Okay. Maybe I did hit it and it didn't work. It's recording on. Okay. We're out of time. We've, we've talked so much. Yeah, I think that actually, I think I did hit it. I think the card's full. Good. I need a new measuring break anyway. Well, before we end to wrap it up. Or where did we wrap it up? Anyway, man. Um, I'll just say to you, like, say what you want about Ty Brown, man. Um, really, since I've been a kid, anytime. I've needed you and I've called you. You've been there for me. And I appreciate that. And um, my life would be different without you, brother. Yeah. So, I appreciate you and I love you for it, man. I appreciate it. And uh, that, that means a lot. And I, the story now, we, we can, we've, we've straightened it out or whatever, makes sense. And it's something that I. I have recognized it myself, but that's good. You know, that's good feedback. You know, he's want to hear that. So, yeah. We'll do it again. Appreciate you, man.